Welcome, welcome, welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to the 24th episode of the Rambling Brews podcast, hosted by me. The name is Tim, and I tell you, I got a great episode for you all this week. On Monday night, the Stanley Cup final began, and thank God the New York Islanders were sent golfing, and the Tampa Bay Lightning are taking on the Montreal Canadiens for the right to hoist Lord Stanley's Cup. We'll take a look back at how each team got there. We'll break down game one between the Habs and Bolts, what we can expect for the remainder of the Stanley Cup final. I also want to talk about where the Vegas Golden Knights and the New York Islanders go from here. And then my brother Troy will join us to discuss the NBA playoffs, his love for the Phoenix Suns, some Major League Baseball talk for the first time ever on this podcast, and so much more. I'm excited for you all to hear that conversation. But before we get into anything, another day, another pod, another Rocky Mountain ice cold Coors Light. I'll tell you guys what, man, I, I've really been wanting a Coors Light for the last couple nights, and I know what you guys are thinking. You're sitting there listening, and you're saying, Tim, it's Wednesday. What the hell? The podcast is supposed to be out on Mondays. You changed the date a couple times or the day of the week. You said these podcasts are going to be out, and I understand that. I appreciate everybody reaching out to me and saying, where's the podcast? People are really interested in listening to this episode and, and uh, every episode, really, so it means a lot to me, and I'm really trying to get these podcasts out on time, but we've had a lot going on in our house the last couple nights. Um you know, a couple of weeks ago, I mentioned my daughter just recently turned two years old in May. And right now, I mean, she's always been a little bit of a daredevil and a thrill seeker, but now she's an escape artist. So she's added that to her repertoire. And it's pretty crazy. I mean, she looks like Kane coming down um, in WWF back in the day and stepping over the top rope the way she easily gets out of her crib. No problem. I mean, she uses her upper body strength, certainly something she didn't get from her dad. And uh, she just flops her legs over and makes it look easy. I mean, she does it safe. It's pretty un- unbelievable to watch. We saw it on the monitor a couple times, and the first time we noticed it was the other night. I was getting ready to record. We just put her in uh, in her crib like we always do. My wife and I took the dogs out. I came back in. My wife and the dogs were still outside, and I heard something upstairs. It kind of sounded like something had fallen over. Uh, not a thud or anything, but just like maybe a picture frame or something like that. So I was like, I'm going to go up and check it out. So I go up, and you know, I don't see anything out of the ordinary uh, when I first get up there. So I go into my daughter's room to see if like, you know, she's standing up or something. Cause she's done that before. And I look and she's not in her crib. So I'm like, uh, you know, I'm yelling at my wife, like over to my wife. I'm like, Hey, where is she? She's not in her crib. And I come in our room and she's sitting on our bed playing with my wife's uh, jewelry box. So that's what I had heard. And we, we've had a, a hell of a time the last couple of nights trying to keep her in bed. I mean, she's really been pushing back on it and it's, it's easy for her to climb out. I mean, we're going to try to transition her over to a, uh, big girl bed now. So all you parents out there, you know what I'm talking about. It's pretty crazy what's going on right now. And uh, it's made me had to delay the podcast a little bit. So we'll see how this transition to the big girl bed goes, but I appreciate your guys understanding. I just wanted to address that, but it's still pretty awesome to see how big she's getting. And, you know, just thinking back to when she was just a little, you know, a little runt that couldn't do anything. And now she's able to just easily get out of her crib and she's just a, a full blown adult. It seems like it's pretty crazy, but, uh, so swig of beer for, for my, uh, my daughter being able to get out of the crib at just a little bit over two years old and making it a little bit difficult on my wife and I. <laughs> And then uh, last Thursday as well, June 24th was my wife and I's four-year uh, wedding anniversary, so pretty awesome to celebrate that. Crazy how fast four years has gone by, and um, what do we do to celebrate in true romantic fashion? That night, we took my daughter to her last music class, um, had had a good time there, it was fun, and then the next night, Friday night, we went to uh, dinner at Longhorn, 
And uh, we love Longhorn. We went there. We had some steaks. We had shrimp. We had a good time. And then we went to see Bob Saget's stand-up comedy at the Pittsburgh Improv. If you've never been to the Pittsburgh Improv, it's an awesome, like, really uh, cool venue. It's it's small. And uh, I don't know how many people can, they can get in there. Maybe, you know, seven or 800 people, something like that. And it was the first um, weekend that the improv was back to full capacity. So it was pretty cool to be in there with a bunch of other people and, like, kind of get a sense of normalcy back a little bit. And uh, Bob Saget was hilarious. I mean, he's awesome. He played some music, uh, just some funny songs. And everybody always says, like, how raunchy he is and stuff like that, you know, because you see him on TV as Danny Tanner. But if anybody's watched Entourage out there, he's more like, um, you know, his character in Entourage when he plays himself and, like, how vulgar he is and stuff. But it wasn't over the top. It was pretty funny. Um, I had a great time. I really enjoyed it. And even the opening act was pretty funny, too. We had... Um, unfortunately we had this girl in front of us. It seems like it always happens. This girl that was way too drunk and she was drinking dirty martinis and tequila and all kind of stuff. And, uh, she was just yelling and like heckling a little bit and asking stupid questions. And like, remember I said, it's like a really small crowd. So, you know, the, the act can hear you and they would respond back and she ended up getting kicked out. So she kind of made it annoying for a little bit, but there's always one in every crowd as they say. And, uh, but other than that, man, it was awesome. I would recommend going to see Bob Saget for sure. He's awesome. He's back on tour. Um, his TikTok, I don't have TikTok. I'm 30 years old, so I don't have TikTok. But I uh, saw like he posted on Instagram or something a video of his TikTok, and he's just chiefing a big cigar walking through Market Square down in Pittsburgh. And people were just like <laughs> pointing at him and he's waving and stuff. And he's just saying how awesome Pittsburgh is. So it was pretty sweet. So swig of beer for Bob Saget. Um, an incredible night and a happy anniversary to the old lady. I'm not sure if she's going to get upset if I call her old lady or not, but <laughs> you know what I mean. Um, so I want to jump right into it. I, I mentioned in the intro that the uh, Tampa Bay Lightning are taking on the Montreal Canadiens for the Stanley Cup, uh, and it started on Monday night. The game one was in Tampa. I ended up winning that game 5-1. Before we dive into that, I kind of want to circle back since I haven't talked to you guys for about a week or so and how we got here. So uh, game six, the New York Islanders versus the Tampa Bay Lightning. Early in the game, in the first shift, I think it was about 46 seconds into the game, Scott Mayfield, who's a cheap shot artist, just a complete cheap shot artist for the New York Islanders. He had a lot of cheap shots in the Pittsburgh series and the Boston series, just getting away with everything. He's a jabroni, uh, 100%. But he took a really cheap shot and with a cross check to Nikita Kucherov's lower back and um, you know, put Kucherov out for the rest of the game. Obviously, with the National Hockey League, there was no call on the play. Kucherov ended up missing the entire uh, game. So that, that's tough for Tampa because they go down t- uh, to 11 forwards. And, you know, if anybody knows anything about hockey, and even if you don't, it's very difficult to get in a rhythm because normally you have 12 forwards and six defensemen. So you've got four lines of three forwards, and then you've got three pairs of two defensemen. And if you lose a guy at either position or a number of guys, you know, you, you might lose one or two or three. It, it can really jumble up the lines and you lose some chemistry you had throughout the playoffs and throughout the regular season and stuff. So, it definitely uh, puts a damper on the on the game plan. It makes it a little bit more difficult to execute if you're the Tampa Bay Lightning in this situation. But they were able to uh, play pretty well. They had a two nothing lead in the second period, and then in late in the second period, they gave up a goal. And uh, whenever they gave up that first goal, Nassau Coliseum was absolutely rocking. I mean, that place is always rocking. It was. Um, you know, potentially the last game there. It ended up being the last game at Nassau Coliseum because, as as I'll uh, mention in a second, obviously you guys know how I mentioned in the intro, if you've been paying attention at all to the sports world, the Tampa Bay Lightning did advance. But 
Um, Tampa Bay ended up blowing that. They had a one-goal lead heading to the third. They ended up blowing it, and then they had an egregious turnover, and Anthony Bavillier for the New York Islanders scored in overtime right over the glove hand of Andre Vasilevsky to force a Game 7. And for some reason, the New York Islanders fans wanted to send off their arena, I guess, or they wanted to celebrate in the dumbest fashion ever by throwing full beer cans or, like, you know, not empty beer cans on the ice all over the place. And, like, their team's out there celebrating. And after the games, usually you'll see it a lot in the playoffs. And sometimes even in the regular season, the guys will go out and they'll put their sticks up and wave them at the crowd and stuff like that, say, show their appreciation for the fans. And that's what they were doing. But the the Islanders fans are just pelting the ice with beer cans. It was just a complete joke. Um, I'm not sure what they were doing there, but, you know, it, it kind of made the Islanders look bad and their fans look bad. Um it was like kind of reminiscent of Philadelphia. If you remember back when Philadelphia, I think they got they were getting shit pumped by the uh, Washington Capitals on like Ed Snyder Appreciation Night, and it was after Ed Snyder, their owner, had died, and they gave out these like white bracelets, which was the dumbest thing I've ever seen, especially in Philadelphia. And they all lit up at the beginning of the game. They had a big ceremony for Ed Snyder, and then after the game, or like during the game, I guess they were getting pumped, and the referees were maybe calling some questionable calls in the eyes of the Flyers fans, and they started pelting the ice with these white bracelets which made it difficult because you couldn't see them because they were white. They were blending in with the ice. So they had like a 15 or 20 minute delay to bring the ice crew out. It was just a disaster. I think the Flyers ended up getting a penalty because of their fans for delay of game. Just an absolute joke. It reminded me a lot of that. And the Islanders fans are very similar to Philadelphia fans in my eyes. I mean, to me, they're just scumbags. I'm sorry. Um, And then game seven, you go down to Tampa Bay and I knew Tampa, they're going to win at home. They're a much different team at home. Um, and the Islanders fans were chirping Tampa Bay fans right off the bat because the uh, Tampa Bay fans, they were given like noisemakers, these like hand clap things, um, and they were pretty loud. They're not as loud as Nassau Coliseum. It's more of like a corporate crowd in Tampa Bay from what I'm told. Shout out to my buddy Dustin. He was at the game. But it's very um, you know, similar to Pittsburgh in that in that way where it's like there's been a lot of success there and maybe the fans aren't as hungry and stuff. Like you see that in New York, the Nassau Coliseum for the Islanders. They haven't won, you know, anything since 1983 and they've been pretty much a laughing stock you know up until recently you know throughout the um late 90s and 2000s and in the last decade or so so i can understand where they're a little bit hungry i mean the penguins fans were like that too in the early part of the uh, 2000s i guess once crosby got there in the 06 07 07 08 era and then all the way up basically until they had won a couple uh stanley cups and now the their barn is pretty quiet on most nights and very corporate crowd but um Definitely spoiled. But uh, like I said, Tampa Bay, I mean, I knew they were going to win the game. They don't lose on home ice very often. And they score first like every single game. It's crazy. They ended up winning the game one nothing on a Yanni Gord goal. And, um, you know, Yanni Gord, what a player. I mean, b- before that, Anthony Sorelli made a nice play. And they were on the penalty kill. And Anthony Sorelli, he could have dumped the puck in. He was at the Islanders' blue line. He could have dumped it in, but he saw some ice, so he took it. And then he made a nice play on the boards. He, he uh, pulled up, and he fed uh, Yanni Gord coming down the middle of the ice. And Yanni Gord just, like, crossed his body, you know, one teed into the net. Just pretty unbelievable shot. I mean, he's a left-handed player, and the puck's coming from his right. So he's got to wait for it to cross his body onto his forehand and then one-time it into the net. Just an incredible goal, shorthanded. Um, and Yanni Gord, man, what a player, like I was saying. He's uh he was scoring a point per game. He played for San Jose. He was in the San Jose uh, Sharks organization for the AHL, their team in Worcester, and he was scoring a point per game for them um, on a 25 game tryout in 2014. The professional tryout expired. He didn't get signed by San Jose. The Lightning came in and signed him up right away, and he's been an unbelievable player. Great penalty killer, great depth player. Obviously scored the game winning goal in Game Seven I just mentioned. 
the last couple of years, the with the success of the Tampa Bay Lightning, he's been nothing short of just unbelievable. Just really chipping in. Um, doesn't make a lot of money. Really doesn't command a lot of uh, national attention or media attention. But he's a hell of a player. I like to see him in black and gold. Um, but I don't think that's going to happen. But it's that type of player you need to win in the National Hockey League, and it just looks so bad for the San Jose Sharks. I mean, they're they're the organization that gives big time contracts to Eric Carlson coming off ankle surgery and. He's 30 years old, and they give him an eight-year deal times $11 million a year. Uh, that, and that deal has looked horrible since day one. They already had Brent Burns' big money. Um, they've made some other just really poor decisions out there in San Jose. So it, it looks bad when you let a guy like Yanni Gord go. Now, I understand it because you might, you know, you know, say he didn't play in the NHL. He had a good uh, AHL tryout. He's not going to pan out to do anything. Maybe they're in some salary cap trouble and stuff. But you see a team like Tampa Bay come swooping in, get him on the cheap, and he's, he's producing the hell out of the puck. So... You got a feel for San Jose Sharks fans there. Um, so again, swig a beer for uh, Steve Eiserman because I believe he was the one that was in uh, Tampa, the general manager. Now he's in Detroit, but he was the one that made the uh, decision to sign Yanni Gord. So swig a beer for Stevie Y. All so like I said, they uh, Tampa ended up winning Game Seven, one nothing. Um, Andre Vasilevsky, their goaltender. He has a shutout in four straight series clinching games. Four straight times they could clinch the series. He's got a shutout, which is an NHL record. Incredible what Vasilevsky's been able to do. Um, just unbelievable. And that matchup with him against Carey Price in the Stanley Cup Final, we'll talk about in a minute. Man, that's going to be a, just awesome to watch. And uh, Patrick Maroon for the Vegas, or sorry, for the Tampa Bay Lightning. Just unbelievable. He's going for his third straight Stanley Cup. He won one two years ago with the. Um, St. Louis Blues, then he won one last year with the Tampa Bay Lightning, and this year he's looking for another one to win three in a row, and it's pretty awesome to think about because this guy, he couldn't get a long-term contract to save his life. He played in Edmonton for a little bit. He kept getting one-year deals. He went to his hometown team on the cheap in St. Louis, had a one-year deal, won the Stanley Cup there, uh, played a pivotal role there. Again, another bottom six depth guy. He ended up not being able to sign in St. Louis due to some cap issues, and he uh, went over and he signed with Tampa Bay. So good decision by him. Again, on the cheap one-year deal. He's looking for a long-term deal, or at least like two- or three-year contract for some financial security, and he hasn't been able to get it, but maybe he will this year because he's playing pretty well. He's um, he's definitely a, the heart and soul of that team. He brings a lot, you know, Brings a lot of physicality, a lot of toughness. He can fight, but he keeps getting these one-year deals, and it's crazy. He's going for his third Stanley Cup in a row. Um and in Game 7, too, after I mentioned with Scott Mayfield in Game 6 where he cross-checked Nikita Kucherov, at the beginning of the game during warm-ups in Game 7, uh, Patrick Maroon was across the red line, which you really don't see in the NHL. I mean, you see that in like the Western Hockey League in, in uh, juniors back in the day, so much so that they uh, started to make the teams warm up at separate times because there were so many brawls during the warm-up. Just so many crazy meatheads in that league. But you don't see that in the NHL, really. And I mean, he was really uh, imposing his will and trying to intimidate Scott Mayfield and the Islanders. And then maybe it seemed to work a little bit, but he's a guy you'd love to have on your team. He's a big body. He can score. He can chip in. Um, you know, just just unbelievable. I, I hope he, uh, you know, it, it'd be pretty cool to see him get the third Stanley Cup. And I hope he gets his, his uh, contract and a little bit of financial security just based on his production over the last couple of years. But you got to be happy for a guy like Pat Maroon. Um and before we jump over to the how the Montreal Canadiens got to the Stanley Cup final, I want to talk like where do the Islanders go from here? So my thought is like they're an older team. Um, they acquired obviously they acquired Kyle Palmieri and they got some young pieces, but Josh Bailey, Brock Nelson, a lot of those guys have been there for a long time. Andy Green, he was a captain in New Jersey for a long time, playing on the blue line for the Islanders. And you know you got to feel a little bit for those guys because it, you know it, it, you only get so many cracks at it and. 
We'll see what the Islanders do. I mean, I think they're a little bit of an overachieving team. Could they get better? I think they probably could. It'll depend on how the salary cap shakes out and any contracts. I don't have their contracts in front of me right now and what their free agents look like. But we'll see what happens. I mean, Anders Lee, you got to remember, too, their captain, one of their best forwards, Anders Lee, great net front, great net front presence, um, unbelievable player on the power play. He was out, hit a shoulder injury. I believe it was shoulder injury, but he missed the entire um, you know latter half of the season in all the playoffs. And Matt Barzell, he really broke out this year, had a great playoff, really productive. you, you got to like what you see from him if you're the New York Islanders. So, you know, it, it'll be interesting to see how it plays out for them. They're in a new arena next year, the UBS Arena, uh, Belmont Park. It's pretty close, I think. It's right where the the Belmont Stakes is, the the horse race. Um, it's right there. But I, you know, it'll be interesting to see how it plays out for them. And I, I'm really looking forward to seeing how Lula Morello, the general manager, does. He's he's getting up there in age. He said he's going to keep being a GM until he physically can't do it anymore, or his health kind of wears on him. So I can't wait to see how that uh, turns out for the Islanders. But Again, I think they're a little bit of an overachiever. They're in a tough division, but you can't knock what they've done. They went two years in a row to the Eastern Conference Final, and they've lost to the Tampa Bay Lightning both times. I actually saw a funny meme. I think they lost to the Tampa Bay Lightning in the playoffs in 2003-2004. The Lightning went on to win the Stanley Cup. They lost him in 2015-2016, I believe. or Yeah, I think it was 2015-2016, and the Lightning went on to... Uh, lose to the Penguins in the uh, Eastern Conference Final that year, and then they lost to him two years in a row. So like the banners were up at Nassau Coliseum in the Photoshop meme of like the banner hanging that says "Lost to the Lost to the Lightning, Lost to the Lightning, Lost to the Lightning, Lost to the Lightning." So <laughs> you gotta love that if you're a Tampa Bay fan. I always love the chirps, especially the ones against Nashville where they put up a banner for everything. Um, and L.A., I think L.A. has a banner up for Taylor Swift sold out a show there or some ridiculous, most most sellouts or some stupid-ass banner that doesn't deserve to be hanging in the rafters. But that's just me. I digress from that. But, um, you know, we'll see what happens with the New York Islanders. So swig a beer for them on a great season, but swig a beer for Tampa getting to the Stanley Cup Final. I really didn't want to give a, a swig of beer to the Islanders, but I just needed a swig of beer. Um Switching over a little bit to the Vegas Golden Knights and the Montreal Canadiens. Last time when we talked, I talked about how uh, Robin Leonard went in in Game 4, and he ended up getting a, a big win to tie the series up in Montreal at the Bell Center after a couple bad games by Marc-Andre Fleury and a huge blunder in Game 3, costing his team the game. And it was pretty crazy because Game 5, like I said, Leonard won Game 4. Game 5, Pete DeBoer went back to Fleury. I thought that was a pretty interesting choice. Like, what kind of message is that sending to your team? I mean, it's weird. You're jumping around goalies. Usually, you know, he gave up, Leonard gave up one goal. They won the game. He played pretty well. Um, I'm not sure how many saves he had, but still, he played pretty well. He looked confident. He looked calm. He was definitely well rested. He's fresher than Marc Andre Fleury. And you go back to Fleury, and I thought it was just a, uh, a pretty difficult and interesting decision. Um, and the Knights really didn't have it from the start. I wonder if it's based on that. You know, sometimes. The, uh, the team plays better in front of certain goalies or there's some momentum, a mojo they have from playing the previous game and winning the game with Robin Leonard and you go with back to Flurry. No knock on Flurry, but it could happen to any team. You see it sometimes. Um, you even saw it just from, you know, with Marc-Andre Flurry. You saw it at times when he was with Pittsburgh. The team played better in front of Matt Murray than they did in front of Marc-Andre Flurry. At times it made Marc-Andre Flurry look bad. Not necessarily all his fault, but um, the first goal of the game, Marc-Andre Fleury made an incredible save, but nobody uh, for the Vegas Golden Knights cleared the rebound, and, and uh, Jesperi Kakaniemi with a backhand goal into the empty cage gave them the lead, and they really never looked back. I mean, Cole Caulfield, or Goal Caulfield, they call him, he scored his third goal, uh, Eric Stahl scored, Nick Suzuki scored, and 
Montreal got out of there with a 4-1 win in Vegas, which I thought was shocking. To go into Vegas, that raucous crowd, and win the game 4-1 pretty convincingly and really dominate from the start when Montreal's not really used to playing in front of fans, playing in the uh, North Division in the playoffs and all season without fans really in the building. I know Montreal, I think they have 3,500 fans, hopefully going to get some more fans. I think they petitioned uh, the province of Quebec in Canada to allow 10,500 fans. So I think that's just over 50% of the Bell Center's capacity for the Stanley Cup final. We'll see how that happens. But I thought it was I thought it was shocking that Montreal went in there and really dominated from the get-go. And that's what I said. I, I would have started Leonard because now you look stupid if you're Pete DeBoer. Leonard went to Montreal, won the game on the road in a must-win game. Then you come back home and you put the other goalie in, Flurry. He loses the game. They get pumped. And then in Game 6, they go back to Robin Leonard. It just seemed like very odd to me. Um, game 6 was a battle, and it was pretty cool to see the Montreal Canadiens general manager, Mark Bergevin, wearing a red suit, all red suit. He's worn that every time the uh, uh, Montreal has had a chance to clinch a series this year, and now he's 3-for-3 three three going to the Stanley Cup Final. Uh, Shea Weber had an absolute rocket power play goal to start, and we've been talking about the special teams battle and how poor Vegas has been on the man advantage and Montreal capitalized on their chance. They took a lead. Uh, Riley Smith for the Vegas Golden Knights, really, he bounced back. He ended up tying it 48 seconds later. Just an unbelievable response for Vegas. You got to figure it gave them some jump. But uh, the teams traded goals in the second and early in the third, and then in overtime. So they went to overtime. It was 2-2, I believe. And um, great play by Brennan Gallagher to chip it up to Philip Deneau, who made it unbelievable uh, and remember Philip Deneau's name here for, you know, when I bring it up here in a second on the podcast, but he made a great pass, um, got some space, a little semi two on one, a backhand pass over to Arteri Lekkonen, who buried it past Leonard and, and uh, just pandemonium in, in Montreal. I mean, the fans outside the building were going nuts. It was the first time Montreal had been sent to the Stanley Cup final since 1993, where they won their last Stanley Cup championship against Gretzky's LA Kings. And, uh, just pretty crazy. I mean, it was unbelievable to see the scene outside. They actually locked down the Bell Center for the fans and the media that were inside because of how raucous the crowd was outside, which makes no sense like from an optics perspective. Like, not Why not just let these people in the goddamn arena? I mean, they're allowed to be outside, maskless, partying in the streets, you know, slobbing all over each other, drinking, you know, laughing, partying, jumping up and down, all that shit. But God forbid the owner of the team's allowed to make a little bit of money and let these guys in. Um, to watch the game. So it's just complete hypocrisy, but I don't want to get into all that COVID stuff, but it just seemed like ridiculous to me. Um, but like I said, hopefully they'll be able to increase the crowd for the Stanley Cup final and the ticket prices in Montreal are through the roof. I saw somebody paid 11 grand for two tickets. Um, and again, they only have 3,500 fans right now. So you can kind of understand, I mean, these, these hockey fans, especially in Montreal are crazy, but I'm not sure how much money I would spend and when the Penguins won, you know, they've won three Stanley Cups. I've never been to a Stanley Cup final game. And the one game I was going to go to in 2016 against the San Jose Sharks was game five, where the crowd in Pittsburgh like basically blocked, I uh, can't remember what street it is. I think it's it's either Fifth or Center Avenue, but they basically blocked the entire street. And, you know, they at like one o'clock in the afternoon for an eight o'clock, eight o'clock puck drop. And it was unbelievable. I mean, the tickets were going for five, six hundred dollars a pop. And I was like, you know what? I'm not sure I have a good feeling about this. I don't want to spend, and my wife and I would have went, and we would have spent twelve or $1,300 just to watch them lose. And sure as shit, they lost the game. They ended up winning it the next game in game six on the road in San Jose, which they've won every Stanley Cup, all five of them. They've clinched the cup on the road. Um, so that played a little bit into my decision, which probably had nothing to do with anything on the game, but that's just kind of how my brain works. But definitely uh, 
Not sure how much money I would spend to, to see my team win the Stanley Cup. But if you're a Montreal fan, you haven't been there for a long time. Really, no Canadian teams have. It's been, I believe, 10 years since uh, Vancouver lost to Boston in Game 7 in the Stanley Cup Finals. So 10 years since a Canadian representative has been in the uh, Stanley Cup Finals. So it's pretty cool to see. Um, same thing I talked about with the Islanders. I want to look at Vegas. You know, Where do they go from here? They really need a centerman. Their center depth is brutal. I mean, Chandler Stevenson, this scrub couldn't even crack the Washington Capitals lineup. And their lineup's good, don't get me wrong. But, you know, he was pretty much just a throwaway trade over to the Vegas Golden Knights, kind of a cap dump. And all of a sudden, he's the Vegas Golden Knights' number one centerman. Now, the problem with Vegas is they went out and they spent too much money on wingers like Mark Stone, although Mark Stone's a hell of a player. And he's their captain, a great player, a great signing, but he makes a lot of money. And then they, they went out and they got um, Alex Petrangelo on the back end of the blue line, a great defenseman, but, again, didn't need him. They had a pretty solid defense. They had to get rid of Nate Schmidt. He went to uh, Vancouver. He was a good player. He was instrumental in their first Stanley Cup run, their inaugural season. And they go out and they they make these. They, they're just like collecting hockey cards. That's what Vegas does, and I understand it. You know, they're they're that kind of market, that kind of team, that kind of city. Uh, they want to make a big splash and go out and get the big fish every time. And you know, give them credit. They got it done. And who the hell wouldn't want to go play in Vegas? It's a great, you know, great um, environment, great fans out there. Obviously, as you see so far, we'll see what happens whenever they start to uh, peel back to reality or when the Las Vegas Raiders get out there and see how many fans, you know, kind of go over to um, the football side. I think the Raiders are, are joining Vegas this year, if I'm if I'm not mistaken. Um so that's going to be crazy to see too, but that's a different discussion for a different day. But again, and then also Vegas, I mean, they got Flurry and Leonard. They got a lot of money tied up in goaltenders. I think they got over $12 million tied up in two goaltenders. That's a lot. Um, and I think this year with the lack of center depth, you know, they're going to look at maybe Jack Eichel. Um, Jack Eichel, I've talked about with Buffalo. I, I could see him potentially going to Vegas and what would they have to give up? I think they they have the assets and they could probably uh, send some salary back that way. But if you're going to send salary out to make a move for Jack Eichel, who makes 10 sheets a year, you're probably going to have to send Marc-Andre Fleury. He's making $7 million. I think he's got one year left on his contract. He makes the most sense, but I believe he's got a no-move clause. So is he going to move it, or is he going to want to go to Buffalo, or do you have a three-team trade? It's going to be crazy to see how this offseason works. And I know I mentioned to remember Philip Deneau's name, but my mistake. It's actually Nick Suzuki, the other centerman for the Montreal Canadiens, who had an unbelievable playoff and an unbelievable series against Vegas. He actually was drafted 13th overall in 2017 by Vegas, so they could probably use him now. They traded him to Montreal for Max Pacioretty, who Max Pacioretty had one goal and two assists in the series. He was largely invisible. I mean, another high uh, price winger. And then you look at Mark Stone, I mentioned. Zero points in six games. Absolutely brutal. He really took it hard in the post-game uh, or post-series press conference. He was really upset with himself. And you could understand, so, you know, the captain... You got to show up. You got to produce. He had a couple bad turnovers uh, in Game Five that led to goals, uh, directly to goals, which is bad. And then not producing, you know, it's pretty tough. So, um, swig a beer for the Montreal Canadiens for getting to the Stanley Cup Final, and you know, we'll see what happens with Vegas here. Same way as we talked about with the Islanders. So, swig a beer for the Habs. That time, I actually don't mind giving a swig of beer for the Habs because I don't see how you can really hate Montreal. Um, that's just my opinion. Um, you know, heading into the Stanley Cup final, before we break down game one, it's basically the two best goaltenders in the NHL. Uh, Andre Vasilevsky, I mentioned, has four shutouts in a row in series clinching games. He's just unbelievably clutch. That's an NHL record. And Carey Price has been playing unbelievable coming into this series, too. Um, you know, 
Andre Vasilevsky has a little bit better numbers right now, just just a hair better coming into the series than Carey Price did. But you got to argue Vasilevsky's on an unbelievable team. I mean, Montreal, they're a good team. Don't get me wrong. But Tampa Bay is one of the best teams probably assembled in the last 20 years. They're just unbelievably deep. And I know they're $18.5 million over the salary cap and all that stuff, but that really doesn't matter to me. They're not breaking any rules. Um, it's, it's frustrating. I understand it, but other teams could do that too. And just to talk about that point for a second, in 2015, I mentioned this before on the podcast, but the Blackhawks did the same thing with Patrick Kane. They were only $5 million over the salary cap whenever the uh, playoffs started. But after that year, there was one team in the Board of Governors meetings, one team that mentioned to the NHL that they thought they should revisit this rule and potentially change it. Do you know who that team was? The Tampa Bay Lightning. So you really can't argue. Every other uh, Board of Governor representative or every other team basically shot it down and said, no, it's not an issue. We don't need to change it. Now Tampa's just reaping the benefit of it. So, you know, if you're pissed about it, whatever. If that helps you sleep at night, if you're an Islanders fan, you know, so be it, whatever. But, you know, it's not going to change the fact if Tampa wins the Stanley Cup, nobody's going to care about that in a couple of years. You can whine and bitch and moan about it all you want, but they're going to get their names engraved on the cup if they win it. They're going to get their rings. They're going to get their banner. And if you're a Tampa Bay Lightning fan, you just don't give a shit about stuff like that. And I don't blame them. Um, but back to Vasilevsky and Carey Price. With Carey Price, I mean, he's eerily similar to Patrick Waugh in 1993, the last time they won the Stanley Cup. And Patrick Waugh, the best goaltender of all time, in my opinion. I don't even think it's close. I know he's not the most winningest goalie of, of all time because Martin Brodeur played for 100 years. But, man, Patrick Waugh is just unbelievable. In 1993, Patrick Waugh was 12-3. and uh, heading into the Stanley Cup final. And this year, Carey Price is 12-5. and five, So very similar. Patrick Wall had a goals against average of 2.15. Carey Price, 2.02. Uh, Patrick Wall had a save percentage of 0. .929. 92.9% of the shots against him he saved. Carey Price at 0. .932. So 93.2%, just a hair better than Wall. But to put Patrick Wall's stats in perspective... The average save percentage in the NHL that season of 1993 was 0.885, so 88.5%. And this year, currently, in the NHL, it was 0.908, so 90.8%. So right now, if you adjust for current, uh, I guess the current NHL, Patrick Wall would be putting up the equivalent of a 0.952 save percentage today. That's how unbelievably dominant he was in an era where goaltending wasn't, you know, wasn't dominating like that. Um, just unbelievable what Patrick Wall was able to do. He's one of the best. I got his autograph. He's one of my favorite players. I still got the Patrick Wall jersey in the basement, the closet uh, Colorado Avalanche fan. Because um, that whole story, I'd love to break that down one day. But with uh, you know Montreal sending Patrick Wall over to Colorado, oh my God. So Patrick Wall, if you don't know, I'll give you the, the cliff notes here. Basically, Patrick Wall was in a game for Montreal against the Detroit Red Wings, like the unbelievable Red Wings with Larry Onoff and all those guys, Fedorov. And it was in Montreal, and Wall just didn't have it. He was having a bad game. Uh, I think he gave up you know, a few goals early. They were down maybe 4 nothing early. And uh, the hometown team started Bronx cheering him. So if you don't know what a Bronx cheer is, basically like Detroit would shoot the puck from the red line, like dumping it in. And Patrick Wall would go out and stop it. And since he stopped it from going in the net, the fans cheer. And Wall hated that. He threw his hands up in the air. He was really upset about it. The announcers were kind of uh, bitching about how poorly Wall handled it. And uh, I think it was the coach, Mario Tremblay, I believe. He was either the coach or the GM. I can't remember. 
Um, but basically, he left Patrick Wall in and kind of like tried to make him look bad. And Wall ended up giving up 10 goals. And then they finally pulled him. And he walked off the ice or he skated off the ice. He walked on the bench. He walked past the head coach. And then he turned back around and went over to, at that time, the owner of the team sat right behind the bench and there was no glass or anything. And he leaned over, I think this was in 1995, he leaned over to the the owner of the team and said, I'll never play another game for the Montreal Canadiens again. And then all that, the Bronx cheer, their stupid coach showing him up and all that. And all he said was, I'm never playing for them again. A couple days later, he got dealt over to the uh, yeah Colorado Avalanche and the rest is history. I believe they won the Stanley Cup that next year. Uh, they're, you know, in 1996 and just unbelievable how stupid. And Montreal has really been cursed ever since then. And uh, it's the curse of Patrick Waugh. So we'll see if they're able to break the curse this year. Um, so I'm going to take a swig of beer before we jump into game one that happened on Monday night. So game one, I mean, the Tampa Bay Lightning, they're a fast team. They're, they are who we thought they were. I mean, they came out flying, just flying and, you know, just buzzing on all cylinders. They scored first on a beautiful tip shot by uh, Cernak, cut into the net. Yeah, the, the Montreal lost him heading to the goal. Just a beautiful redirect top cheese over uh, Carey Price's glove, scoring first to make it one nothing. Fifteen out of the nineteen playoff games the uh, T- Tampa Bay Lightning have played this year, they've scored first. So that's an unbelievable stat. Most of the time, you score first, you're going to win the game. That's just the way it goes. Um, and this game was incredibly physical too. I don't know if like you could tell on TV how physical it was. You usually don't see it from both ways. Usually, like one team has the puck. And they have puck possession the whole game. And then the other team's very physical, chasing the puck. But in this case, Montreal had 58 hits and Tampa Bay had 57. That's incredible. That's got to be like a record of some sort. I mean, 58 hits to 57 hits is unbelievably even. Uh, but just the Lightning are just too much offensively. They had a 5-1 beatdown on the score sheet. They won the game 5-1. Um, I thought Montreal battled. They got away with some cheap shots. Shea Weber on Nikita Kucherov, a slash to the back of the leg. And uh, Shea Weber, I think, ended up getting a $5,000 fine uh, today from the NHL for that. But I thought it was a complete embellishment. Yeah, it was a slash. Just a little love tap. Let them know you're there. Let them know, you know it ain't going to be easy. It ain't going to be this easy every game. But Kucherov went down like he got shot from a sniper up in the upper deck and you know, it, I understand that. That happens all the time. Players embellish, and I thought Kucherov probably should have got something for embellishing. But it really didn't matter. The game was 5-1 at that point. And uh, one of the scarier moments of the game was uh, Mikhail Sergachev and Brennan Gallagher got into it, and uh, Gallagher lost his bucket, and they're wrestling in front of the net. And it looked like Gallagher tried to hip-toss Sergachev. I know people were saying Sergachev was the aggressor, but I thought it was equal. But Sergachev's just a big dude, and Gallagher tried to hip-toss him, but he couldn't get him up, and basically... Sergachev just drove Gallagher headfirst with no, remember, he had no bucket, headfirst into the ice. Really dangerous, scary looking play. Very similar to what happened to Artemi Panarin at the hands of uh, Tom Wilson, we talked about. And, um, but Gallagher, he got juice, man. He was bleeding all over the place. Uh, just unbelievable scene. And great photo of him. I'm sure he had to get some stitches. So hopefully he'll be all right to go for game two. Um, I mentioned Kucherov. He had two goals in the game. He, had, he has 30 points in the playoffs this year in 19 games. He becomes only the third player ever to have consecutive 30-point postseasons. The other two, Wayne Gretzky, Mario Lemieux. Ever heard of him? Uh, great company for Nikita Kucherov to be in there. Um, he's the best power play player in the NHL by far. Um, although their power play, I believe, was held off the score sheet in Game 1 in Montreal, they haven't allowed a goal in 13 straight playoff games on the penalty kill. Uh, they're 30-for-30 30 30 in kills at that time. 
That's unbelievable. But they really haven't had to deal with the Tampa Bay Lightning's power play yet. When Kucherov's out there, you know, he's he's so good. He can like just finesse a little pass into the slot to Braden Point, who Point's not going to miss too often. Um, he's got Stamkos on the other side. They got Alex Kalorn. I think he actually got banged up. He might miss game two. He's questionable for game two, but he's uh, down on the blue line or down on the goal line, I should say. And then you got Victor Hedman, arguably the best defenseman in the NHL. They're just loaded, but Nikita Kucherov, best power play player in the NHL, and it's not close. It's not close. Um, that game six against the uh, Islanders where he went out early, their their power play was just not the same. But anytime you put up 30 points in 19 games and you, you got at least three more games to go, he's. I mean, it's pretty crazy what he's going to be able to do. He's going to be up there with you know Evgeny Malkin having 36 points in t- 2009. And then uh, Evgeny Kuznetsov, I think he had right around 36 or maybe even more. I can't remember his exact point total when the Capitals won the Stanley Cup, but unbelievable production for um, Nikita Kucherov. I believe he's up to 125 playoff points in his career. And uh, since he entered the league, I think the next closest is Sidney Crosby with 86 So uh, in that time span. So pretty crazy what Kucherov's been able to do. And you really can't stop it. You can't. So I, I imagine they're going to get a power play goal or a couple power play goals in this series. I think you can book that. Um, as far as the series goes, I know it's you know it's, it's tough to give a prediction after you've already seen game one. Coming into the series, I thought Montreal could slow the game down a little bit. Uh, they could trade chances because Tampa likes to trade chances. but uh, and, and they'd be able to score a little bit But with Carey Price. And I don't think the goals were Carey Price's fault. I just think everything's so just, just clicking on all cylinders if you're Tampa. Um, but I think Montreal can make it a series, but I got Tampa Bay in six games. And honestly, this might irritate some of the listeners, but I'd like to see Montreal win it all, to be honest with you. And really it's a selfish perspective because I want the Penguins to be the only team to go back to back in the salary cap era. I don't really want to see Tampa win it again. Although I think they're a much better team than Montreal and I think they will win the series, but I think game two will go to Montreal. That's my prediction. I don't think Tampa will win game two. I think they kind of embarrassed them a little bit in game one. They beat the shit out of them 5-1, dummied them, shit-pumped them, however you want to say it. I think Montreal will come out with some pride. I think they'll win. A, they'll squeak out a, a win 2-1 or something like that, maybe 3-1 with an empty netter and head back to the Bell Center with a raucous crowd hopefully up there, and we'll see what happens. But I do think, you know, my mind is telling me Tampa's going to win it. And honestly, I wouldn't be surprised if it's a short series sometimes. And Whenever I take a second to think about it, you know, it, it could easily go six, seven, or it could be four, four straight, and you're, you're, you know, you're out of there if you're Montreal. So, um, just swig a beer for the Stanley Cup Final being on, best uh, trophy in sports by far, up for grabs here. So, you know, can't wait to watch and see how it plays out. Swig a beer. I want to switch gears a little bit and talk some NBA playoffs, some Major League Baseball, and just shoot the breeze with my buddy Troy. So grab a cold beer, relax, and enjoy this conversation. Ladies and gentlemen, it's a pleasure to welcome to the Rambling Brews podcast for a second time, a man who if you would have told me 20 years ago that I'd be chatting with him about the NBA playoffs on a podcast one day, I would have told you you're nuts because at that time he hated basketball since he was a wrestler, so something must have clicked or something changed, but this man over the last decade has become a huge basketball fan and I can't wait to chat about it. My brother Troy, how's it going, man? It's good. Thank you for having me. Happy to be back. Yeah, for sure. That's what I wanted to get into real quick, though, was like what happened with your uh, <laughs> like why you changed and became like this big basketball fan all of a sudden. I just remember when we were younger, you hated it and you just you despised it. I don't know if it was just your allegiance to wrestling or what the the war between wrestlers and basketball players in uh, middle school there. But 
Yeah, well, I was a, a terrible basketball player back back in the day, so I just hated on it. Um, but then I think whenever we were in college and uh, played like every day at the rec, I just realized how fun it was. And then it's a lot more fun to watch a sport whenever you played it and know how to play it and understand it more. So that kind of just got, uh, you know, started my interest with it. And now I still play almost every day at the at the gym. So now it's just turned into a uh, a passion of mine. Yeah, back in the lab, man, raining threes. I see you on uh, Snapchat all the time. <laughs> yeah, well, I only uh, send the ones that I make, so, you know. Yeah, or you'll text me and be like, yeah, I went four for six in that game. Like, it's, <laughs> like it actually means something. It's just like a regular stat. But, hey, I do the same shit. I'll be like, I had two goals and an assist in some men's league beer league game that nobody actually cares about, and there was nobody watching. But, hey, we're legends in our own mind. We still got some eligibility left. So Yeah, exactly. Good. But uh, what else have you been up to, man? How's it going? How's uh, Houston, Texas down there? Oh, it's good. It's uh, it's hot, but uh, you know, I can't can't complain too much. Um, before speaking of that, before this uh, this gets warm, I have a a beer um that I've actually tried before. Um, but I'm taking a risk here, and I'm sure there'll be um beer enthusiasts that you know might say this isn't the best idea or it it's perfectly fine, but I just looked at the bottom of the can, and it was canned on uh, June 24th of 2020. So it's this can (laughs) is a year. I mean, is a year okay? Is it like wine? It it ages better, or is it not going to be good? Well, it depends on what kind of beer it is. And that's shout out to to my wife Sarah. That's our anniversary date, June 24th. So that's pretty cool. Maybe it's a lucky beer for you. But it could be. It could uh, be. a year old is a little risky, man, but I respect <laughs> it. What kind of beer is it? It's a it's a haterade. It's a it's like a um a sour, I guess. It's good. I just it's it's a year, so let's see. Let's try it. Okay. I do respect it, though. I, I do respect that you said uh you know, before it gets warm because you just want to crack the beer as soon as we start talking, <laughs> you don't want to wait any longer. <laughs> I, it, I respect it. I'll crack the cores light too. This wasn't the uh, crispest sound whenever I, I cracked the top, so let's see. Um, <laughs> I'm waiting with anticipation. It here. doesn't taste bad. It doesn't taste bad, and it's still got fizz to it, so I think we That's can a good sign. It. Yeah, it's a good Did sign. Did you just buy it? Did you just no, buy no, it? No, no, no. It's, it? it's, uh, it's just been in the fridge. I just never got around to drinking it, so yeah, I didn't just buy I it. I respect that. Yeah. So. Well, I'm glad we got through that. Uh, the Coors Light's always good. I don't know when <laughs> when this was canned, but uh, looks like <laughs> looks like actually pretty good. July or no, not J- July, June of 2021. So it's pretty fresh. So yeah, man. Like I mentioned in the intro, um, the NBA playoffs. Like you're big in basketball at all levels too. Like college, I know you're big in college basketball, but, but with the NBA playoffs going on right now. You know, I'm curious what your thoughts are on if it's good for the league or, you know, what your perspective is now that LeBron James, you know, he got eliminated in the first round by your uh, beloved Phoenix Suns, which we'll get to, I'm sure, here in a minute. But uh, and then in the second round on the other side in the Eastern Conference, you had KD and Kyrie and James Harden, um, the Brooklyn Nets get eliminated. So a lot of star power out of the NBA playoffs. I'm curious, you know, what your thoughts are on it and how yeah. you feel the playoffs are going for from a fan's perspective, I guess. I think overall that it's a it's a good thing because um, this is the the league started to feel like it was becoming a superstar league or a super team league where you know you had to build a super team to win it like uh the warriors on their run and then um durant going to the nets 
So that's what it was starting to feel like. Well, now with the four teams that are left, none of them are um, really superstar teams. So I think that for a fan perspective, it's exciting to see that there is that uh, that parity in the league. Because, I mean, any of these four teams, the Suns, Hawks, uh, Bucks, or Clippers could win it. And none of them, you know, are, are built like the Warriors have been built. So, um, and, and a lot of young talent. So I think that overall, it's, it's good for the league and it's exciting. Um, I don't know that the NBA... Um, front office might agree with that because you know they're uh you know losing the if the finals i mean the suns are up three to one so if the finals are phoenix and milwaukee then you know they're not going to have the the la market or the big markets that they're used to so you know for the for the time being the um you know writings might not be what they want it to be but i think overall that it that it's good for the league and it's good for fans because um you know they they see that any team can win it and all it takes is um one star um, and I know that like the Atlanta Hawks have a, have a good roster, but they, I mean, Trey Young's their, their superstar. So it's exciting to see that one guy that's only been in the league for a couple years can get the team to the conference finals so quickly. So I think that overall, yeah, that, that that's a, a big bit, uh, benefit for the league. <clears throat> yeah. You, you mentioned Trey Young. The one thing about him is like, and I know we watched him a lot in college, but I always thought, and I think a lot of people thought. You know, and I, admittedly, I don't watch as much NBA. Um, I in recent years, I've been watching the playoffs a lot more this year. But Trey Young, to me, whenever he first came in the league, I was like, yeah, he's a good player. He's he's more of a stat stuffer. He's not like a mm-hmm. guy that's gonna change the game and and win it for you. But it seems like he's kind of taking that leadership role and taking over that team down there in Atlanta. And he's really kind of coming to his own. It's like a coming out party for him this year in this postseason. And he's been lighting up the like each and every night, man. He's been awesome, oh, just yeah. draining threes. And he's he looks a lot like. Uh, and this might be a stretch, but I've seen some people compare him to like Steph Curry early on when Steph Curry mm-hmm. was kind of getting becoming his own um, and becoming what he would be and what he is now. But yeah, I don't know. It's I never I never saw that from Trey Young whenever you know in, in college and then early on in his first couple years. So like, but him, like you said, getting to the Eastern Conference final and potentially to the NBA finals here and leading that team, it's, I think it's good for the league too, man. I think that uh, this, the uh, Curry comparison could be a good one because if you watch uh, Trey, he's very similar in that regard to as soon as he steps over half court, he's going to shoot it like from anywhere. So you have right. to guard him so far out because he can be an effective three-point shooter from the logo. I mean, it's insane. And so... If you start guarding him out there so that he doesn't take threes, he's just going to blow right by you. So he's so hard to defend. I thought coming out of college because, I mean, the team that surrounded him in Oklahoma just wasn't that great. I mean, they lost to Rhode Island in the first round. And I think I just looked too far into that. And uh, just, he, I mean, he's small. So I didn't know if his defense was going to be able to, um, you know, have him be an elite player in the in the league. But I was I was definitely wrong on that. He's definitely a one of the best young players in the game right now. Yeah, for sure. They got a tough matchup though, man. They're going up against Milwaukee and Giannis. And I think Giannis, you know, onto Tecampo getting by uh, the Nets and they were beaten up. And I want to talk about the Nets in a second, but they, you know, it's almost like he was kind of like not able to get over the hump. I think he won an MVP at least one um, in the past couple of years in the, like a regular season MVP and then they've always gotten bumped in the first round or second round and now it seems like they're on a mission they kind of got that monkey off their back so to speak and it's going to be tough I think for Atlanta to beat them I think right now the series is 1-1 right from when right. we're recording this yeah so. Atlanta won in a close one in game one and then Milwaukee blew them out the other night so um, oh yeah I turned on Atlanta's. the game dude it was like it was like in the I think Giannis was just on the sideline with like six minutes to go in the fourth and he's just laughing over there 
and they didn't have the score on the on the screen yet like the graphic yeah and then they pulled it up and it was like 120 to 85 i'm like what the hell and then they were like talking about i mean you rarely see a big blowout like that especially like we like you mentioned with trey young those guys can shoot you know and that team can shoot so right you can get back in the game but they must have just all went ice cold at the same time yeah i don't i unfortunately didn't get to see any of the game but the first score i saw it was like 70 to 41 and i was like oh wow this isn't even worth watching the rest of it even if i could so Um, but yeah it'll be crazy to see like i i mean obviously never been a uh, professional athlete so um you know it's harder to comprehend but it's just amazing what a difference it can be playing at home like how teams play on the road compared to at home like they just lost by what 30 points and then now they're going to go back home and who knows they might win both the next games after you know coming off of a a 30 point loss so um it seems like having a uh being at home kind of can neutralize a uh, difference in in skill and talent levels so it'll be exciting yeah definitely and they did their job man they they went on the road and got a win whether you know it doesn't really matter if you lose by 50 or you lose by one in the playoffs a loss is a loss so they did their job they got one on the road they go back home like you said they hold serve on home court they can go up 3-1 in the series and then you know you're pretty much got a stranglehold on it but it'll be interesting to see you know like i mentioned with milwaukee getting through the nets i wanted to ask you about the nets so I think I mentioned this maybe before on the podcast, maybe last time you were on, that I, uh, you know, I was a big Kevin Durant fan. You know, whenever he was in uh, at Oklahoma City, I didn't really watch. I mean, I didn't really like him too much at, you know, when he went to Texas because I don't like Texas, but, um, you know, in college at least. But when he when he went to Oklahoma City, I really liked that team. They were like a young team. They had James Harden. It's hard to believe they had James Harden, Russell Westbrook, <laughs> and Kevin Durant, and then they decided to keep Serge Ibaka and let Harden go. Yeah. And then uh, everybody knows the rest that, that KD wanted away from Oklahoma City or whatever, and he, he joined the Warriors. But that when he did that, I kind of stopped liking him. Not necessarily him, but I just couldn't. I didn't want to start rooting for the Warriors because that just mm-hmm. – the only reason I liked Oklahoma City was because of KD. But then if you, like, start rooting for the Warriors, then you're just some big bandwagoner like everybody else because before they got, like, Curry and those guys, I mean, they I remember they had, like, Monte Ellis and, and like, all these other players. I think Jason Richardson played for them for a little while, but they were kind of like a – just a team that was in the league that nobody really cared about unless you lived in that area, I guess. So I didn't want to be that guy that, that jumps on that bandwagon. But when he goes over, KD goes over to Brooklyn and I'm like, nah, I'm not sure this is going to work either. And I, I really, I'm not, I don't think they can win a championship the way their the rosters constructed. I, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm interested in what you think. Cause they, they don't play defense at all. I mean, they can score 135, 140 points, yeah. but what you know, they- and I know this year it's kind of, you know, hard to judge them because KD was unbelievable, but James Harden was hurt. Kyrie's always hurt. So it's, you know, I, I wonder what you think about, like, if their chances going forward, if they need to build on their roster, you think they can win, the, you know, the way they're built now? What do they always say? Um, you can have three superstars, but there's only one ball. But, uh, no, I think they I think they can win it all. I mean, Harden was hurt, so he wasn't the same. And uh, I, I think that they can win it. I mean, really, I think KD is good enough to where the roster could be not that great around him and he's still going to win it. I mean, uh, he was, he was worn out at the end of, uh, of game seven. Um, and you could yeah, tell he played every his, minute. Yeah. Played he played every, every minute. minute, the last four games. Uh, that's insane. So, yeah. I mean, yeah, I guess he does, did need a little bit of help, but, um, yeah, I think that they can win it the way that they're built, uh, get everyone healthy back next year. And, uh, you know, another year of, uh, playing together. I think helps a lot. So yeah, I think that uh, next year will be will be interesting, and I think that you know they'll probably going into the season be the favorites to win it again. Yeah, I think so too. Especially, I mean, the Eastern Conference. 
you know, and we've been talking about Atlanta and Milwaukee. I mean, Milwaukee, everybody knew they were going to be a favorite in the East, but so it's a little bit easier, I think, for the Nets to come out of the East if they're healthy. But that's a big if because it always seems like Kyrie's always injured or he's mm-hmm. off like just on his own planet somewhere doing something. And <laughs> it's just, you know, I, and again, I, I'm not a big Kyrie guy, but um, I just wonder, and like you said, you know, KD, he's good enough to be able to carry a team by himself pretty much. Um, but he hasn't done that in his career, really. He hasn't won without, you know, having Steph Curry. He's won two championships, and they were the the Warriors dynasty teams that he was on. That's true. And I mean, I'm not, I'm not saying he can't do it because this this year's performance was unbelievable. I mean, every night he was he was so consistent, except for he had that that air ball uh, to in Game Seven at the buzzer was a tough look, but you couldn't really fault him because he had like 48 points in the game, and he was just, and he just banged a three like maybe 10 or 15 seconds before that to tie it. Right and um, well, it was, so it was it, a long two, and if his foot had oh, yeah. been, <laughs> if his foot had been like six inches past where it was, then they win the game, and you know he's a hero. But that's just yeah. The if way he it doesn't goes. have like a size nineteen shoe, he yeah, probably, I think he, uh, doesn't he wear a size <laughs> bigger shoe than he needs? I forget why, but I think that I read that he wears like a a half a size or a size bigger because I think he wants like more mobility on, with his feet. I, so. If he was wearing, you know, a shoe that fits, then they wouldn't. <laughs> I mean, hey, more power to him. I'm never going to tell Kevin Durant what to do, but that just seems ridiculous. <laughs> Why would you not want your like shoe to fit? That just seems weird. Like, potentially, you can injure yourself or something. I, I don't know, right. but I never heard that. That's pretty funny. Um, so, it, it remains to be seen there. Steve Nash, I think, is a good coach. Um, still young in his coaching career, so... It's got to be weird for him to be like, and weird for the players. I mean, they played in the league the same time as he did, and you're seeing that a lot in the NBA now. I think, what is it, Chauncey Billups? Did he just get hired by the Portland Trailblazers? He as did. The head coach? Yeah, he did. So, uh-huh. and then there's a couple other, like Luke Walton was a coach for the Lakers for a while. I don't even know if he's still coaching in the, in the league at all, but you're seeing that a little bit now where there's guys that like played. Jason Kidd, I think he just uh, got hired by the Mavericks, right? So, right. It, you're seeing it's weird because like guys you played against or played with are now like an authority figure over you essentially. Not that you really have any authority over Kevin Durant or LeBron James or those main big guys, but at the end of the day, like it's weird. It, it just I don't know. It just seems weird to me like that. Jason Kidd could just like sub Luka Doncic out whenever he wants, and like you know what I mean. Like he's got control. <laughs> yeah, over him. it just seems weird. It's not like you 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 think of a coach like an older guy. Not to say you know those guys won't be successful, but um, I'm think- I'm interested to see how it plays out with with Brooklyn. Yeah, I think that the uh, the players like that though because they played with these guys that are now becoming their coaches, and so they you know have a lot of respect for them because um, you know they've seen how good they are and talented they are and played with them and everything. So you know they're they're going to take feedback and criticism from someone right. that they know um, you know was able to do what they're doing uh, at a high at a high level. So I think that that's it, it seems like. Uh, at least in the league with all these coaches, um, that that's like becoming the trend is hiring these guys that recently played in the league and played with these guys and know these guys and have their respect. And so I think it's pretty cool. Yeah, that's actually a great point, man. I, I think about that. Like you see that a lot in the NBA. I feel like that's maybe the only sport you'll really see that. Um, and maybe I'm wrong, but like I know in the NHL, I know Ken Hitchcock, he's like one of the most winning coaches of all time. And I don't think he played a second of hockey. I'm not even sure he played any <laughs> hockey, like at any level. He's just a great coach. And yeah, it, it and, and he's like, it, it ties into like those guys in the NBA, like say Chauncey Billups, he's still like in good shape. He was playing in that like big three league a couple years ago that Fox had that Ice Cube was running. I don't even mm-hmm. know if they still have that, the three on three league. 
but he's like in good shape. So it's almost like an athlete looks at the coach and he's like, he's cut, he's fit and everything. And like, they kind of relate more to him. And then to your point, you know, they played with him and those guys have went through it. They know what it's like to be in the NBA and win championships and stuff like that. So, right, um, exactly. staying in the, in the East, what do you, what do you make of the Sixers, man? The Philadelphia <laughs> 76ers, like Ben Simmons couldn't hit water if he fell off a boat in, yeah. in the playoffs. I, I just like, don't. He, Oh, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. <clears throat> no, you're you're good. I, I was just gonna say, like, he's scared to shoot, man. Like he, and I understand that you just don't have any confidence. But you're making thirty million dollars a year, and I think I saw where he didn't take a single, or he didn't. I think it was he didn't take a single shot, maybe in the last four games in the fourth quarter of the series, or something right. like that. Like, yeah, I think like, that's how, right. You're the superstar player, and I think he was three for three in the fourth quarter in the whole series. So he took three shots in the fourth quarter in seven games. And then after the game, game seven, he's like, yeah, I, you know, I just got to work on my, you know, all this. He's, you know, giving the cliche answers, and it was good good that he owned up that he didn't play well and stuff. But, like, Shaquille O'Neal on Inside the NBA was like, I mean, it doesn't take you seven games to realize you're not being aggressive. You need to be aggressive. Like, maybe you have one game that's bad, and then you're like, all right, I need to bounce back or whatever. And, like, it just seems like he's got – he's lost, man. Yeah, it's uh, – it. I mean – the roster looking at it, you would think is built for a, a title and Embiid's un, unreal. But when you have a point guard that won't shoot the ball, that you're playing on the offensive end, you're playing five on four. I mean, I know he can distribute and pass, but that game seven, fourth quarter where he had a wide open layup and the only person that was even anywhere close was Trey Young was coming from like the uh, the baseline, like had no chance. And even if he had gotten there in time, I mean, you're... Ben Simmons is way taller. Just go post up. But he had a wide open layup and then he passes it out. And then that guy gets fouled and misses one of his th- free throws. That just changes the whole game. And not only did it change the score because they got one point instead of two, but um, I think it changes the mentality. Like you could see the players were frustrated. Like, why didn't she just go up? And, and B talked about it in his post game. So I think from like a mentality standpoint, it really hurt them. And also score-wise. So I don't see how moving forward, I mean, you can't just run this exact roster back next year and expect to win it whenever you couldn't even get past Atlanta this year. So they have to do something. Um, I think that that Ben Simmons still has a lot of value because he can be, um, you know, an elite defender somewhere and he can go somewhere where, I don't know, where he can be a little bit more under the radar, I think, and, and have a long career. I just don't know if he's uh, you know, going to be a, a point guard that, that leads a team to a title, but could be wrong. What yeah, do you think? I, I, don't, I don't think he'll be in – I don't think he'll be in Philadelphia next year. I don't see how you could bring him back. Even Doc Rivers was saying, like, I'm not sure, you know, w- w- if it can work, basically. He said something along those lines. Like, you know, he, he didn't have an answer when they asked him if, that t- if the team could win with Ben Simmons at point guard. And he's like, I don't know the answer to that right now. And yeah, that's never tough. a good, you know, <laughs> vote of confidence from your coach. But, you know, he's yeah, just afraid of the foul line. It's 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 a thing that, you know, plagues some some athletes. But, you know, and I, I've read all the stories that they say um, – Ben Simmons, like everybody around him, coddles him pretty much. Um, everybody he hangs around with, they, they it's never him. It's never you know he's never the problem. Kind of stuff like that. So I don't know mm-hmm. if it's an attitude issue. And you probably, I mean, you tend to hear that whenever things don't go well, um, things start to come out and get reported and stuff like that. But I don't know how true all that stuff is. But I think they're the process is no longer to be trusted, man. It's just <laughs> like they're just not they're they're not going to win as constructed. And then you feel bad for guys like Joel Embiid. He's playing his ass off every game and. Not that Ben Simmons isn't trying. He's just, like you said, it's five on four out there. The other team knows he's no threat. He can't shoot. 
And like, remember in the summer league, dude, they were like showing highlights and he like worked on his jumper and he was like, and it's the summer league. So I know it's a lot less pressure, but he was like raining threes and, uh, doing like long range J's and stuff like that. And he was hitting them and he was confident and stuff. I don't know what happened <laughs> in the regular season, but this whole season, basically he's been yikes. Yeah. It's, uh, every off season though, you get that where, uh, you see these guys in the gym and they're just making every single shot and it's like, he's going to have his breakout season. Like. Yeah, but he's in a wide open gym with no fans and uh, you know, someone's sitting there passing him perfect rebounds after every shot, like of course they're gonna they're gonna make it. So I'm sure this offseason we're gonna see videos of Ben Simmons just uh draining threes and uh it's gonna be the, the same story. Oh, he'll you know, he, he has a three point shot and then next year the exact same thing will happen. Yeah, new year, new Ben Simmons and everyone's gonna be like we'll see what happens. I think he's gonna get traded. Um, I just don't see like, and that, that city, man, Philadelphia, they're ruthless. So like, they're just, if he comes back next year and they don't make any changes and he does the same thing, they're going to boo him the hell out of there. I just kind of feel bad for him. Um, because yeah. the same thing happened with Markel Foltz there in, yeah, in uh, Philadelphia. <laughs> he was a top, was he first pick or second pick? Or he, uh, he I think was he taking was the right, one overall pick, wasn't he from, from Washington? Wasn't he taken right before Lonzo Ball? Yeah, I think so. I think, Cause I think he was one and then was ball Lonzo two. went to the Lakers. Maybe I'm totally yeah. off on that, but. But, that was, um, I mean, that was just a case of like, I mean, Fultz got hurt and then tried to like change his shot. I don't know. That was just, that was tough. I felt bad for him because got like the yips basically. And, you know, you can tell it just became a, in his head at that point because he has all the talent. It's just not there. Yeah. I don't know if he's done anything since he, he got traded to um, Orlando, right? The Mad, right. I think. Yeah. So I, I, they're kind of like one of those teams that's just like there as well like nobody remembers unless Shaq's on the team or Dwight Howard or something that one year when they had like Hito Turkaloo and he was just raining threes and they would go into the playoffs but <laughs> otherwise they're kind of just a team that's just there uh sorry for any Orlando Magic fans I don't know if Dustin uh still likes the Magic or not living <laughs> down there but oh. um I want to switch over to the West sorry go ahead what's up oh I just wanted to uh I just looked up the that draft the 2017 draft with Markel Fultz and <laughs> Lonzo Ball went right after him, and then third overall was uh, Jason Tatum. Uh, De'Aaron oh, Fox boy. went five, and uh, Donovan Mitchell went 13th. So John <laughs> Collins this, was dude. 19th. That's tough. That's that's tough for the Sixers yeah. to I love to this. I, I buried the Boston Bruins on a recent episode with looking at their draft, like the people that get drafted after some mess-up picks for them. But yeah. Yeah, it's a bad look. Isn't uh, what's the guy's name from? He went to Kentucky. You said he went fifth. Is it like Kieran or De'Aaron Fox? Or? Oh, De'Aaron Fox. Yeah, I remember like uh, Lavar Ball was like all over ESPN saying how he, you know that kid was no good and Lonzo was way better than. I think they might have played each other in the tournament that year, but I think Kentucky won against UCLA. Yeah, but I'm rambling now, so <laughs> it was just funny. <laughs> hey, it, but I haven't really seen podcast, much from. Man. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> I haven't seen much with that Fox kid. I don't know. He's good, but he's in Sacramento. Going. I mean, it's. Oh, it's no. hard to it's hard to tell because you know a lot of times people will put up empty stats where you're just but he's good he's averaging it looks like he had a uh, 25 points a game this year in, in Sacramento oh, so yeah productive player yeah that's pretty solid um staying in the west we'll look at the western conference playoffs um the Phoenix Suns man they're they're surprising like I said I haven't really watched the NBA and I, when I saw them being a, a like a two seed coming in I'm like you know, you're not, again, you're not used to, you know, seeing a team like that having that much success. But I guess first, how do you become 
a Phoenix Suns fan, being from Pittsburgh and living in Houston, Texas, I guess fill the listeners in on that process. Yeah, I, well, I didn't have any allegiance to uh, to an NBA team, really. I just, um, you know, started, I, I've always been a college basketball fan, but then started getting uh, more into the NBA, um, so didn't have a team. Tried to get into the to the Houston Rockets, but I don't know, it just it just never felt right. I wasn't, you know, I, I like James Harden, but I don't know, I just wasn't a huge fan of the team. Um, so anyways, whenever Javon Carter, who was at West Virginia for four years, two-time, uh, defensive player of the year in college. Uh, whenever he was going to get drafted, I'm like, okay, whoever he goes to, that's who I'm just going to root for. So he gets drafted by the uh, Memphis Grizzlies. Um, I think one of the first picks of the second round. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to root for Memphis. So buy a Memphis shirt, go to a Memphis game. Um, so that was. Did you uh, get on TV? Weren't you on TV at that? Yeah, game? I was on TV because <laughs> I read on their Twitter that if you're an away fan, they always give out an away fan of the game and. Their tips were to just be there early and, you know, sit near like, and our seats were near like the, the Memphis Grizzlies, uh, broadcast team. So before the game, we got in there, like right as gates open, we're just sitting there and, uh, I guess they noticed me in the crowd and came up and I, I won the away fan of the game and got a bunch of, uh, <laughs> FedEx branded, uh, souvenirs. So that was pretty cool. Um, so yeah, I was a fan <laughs> for Memphis for a year. They, I mean, it was cool because then they drafted, uh, Morant. And, um, so, but then they traded Carter to the Suns, so he was only there for a year, so I was like, okay, well, I'm going to become a, a fan of the Suns, which at that time, it wasn't that exciting, because they weren't any good. Um, so, but last year, they started to heat up in the bubble, and, uh, then they extended his, they signed him to a three-year contract after last year, so after this year, hopefully, um, you know, he has two more years with the Suns, so I'm, like, just going to go all in on the Suns, so even at this point, if he gets traded, I'm still you know, going to be a, be a Suns fan. I'm all in at this point. So it's been, uh, I got lucky with, uh, picking them at the right time. <laughs> yeah, for sure, man. Nobody can say you're a bandwagoner cause you got the back backstory there. Although the Memphis Grizzlies social media team is probably pissed off at you that they wasted a, uh, fan of the game away <laughs> fan of the game on a guy that flaked on him after one year, but <laughs> I thought I was going to actually... get, go ahead. I, I, they, they gave me like, everything was like FedEx. Um, I guess like their big sponsor. Um, so I yeah, thought they play that at the FedEx Forum, I think, is the, their yeah, arena. Yeah, yeah. I, I have like I was... this weird thing where I I know like every every arena's name. It's weird, but anyway. <laughs> <laughs> I thought I was gonna get a uh, like plane tickets to go to a uh, to like a Memphis Grizzlies home game, but you know I got a I got a towel and a uh, a mobile phone charger um, and and a couple t shirts. <laughs> so. You know, not quite tickets, but I'll take it. It was, it was still pretty sweet. <laughs> yeah, thanks for thanks for traveling all this way to the game. Here's a phone <laughs> charger and a, and a towel. <laughs> like, I mean, at least you got your picture on TV or whatever your your video on TV. Yeah, that's true. That's I got tweeted funny. out by some WVU accounts too. So, yeah, cool. that's awesome, man. I, I I haven't seen Javon Carter really playing in the in the playoffs, but I know <laughs> yeah. he's like during the regular season. He's really good. He's kind of. I mean, it's tough. It's definitely tough as a guard on that team. I mean, they got campaign and obviously Devin Booker and right. like he's more of a defensive, you know, he, he gets in, which that's important, man. You get into those situations potentially where, you know, it's a close game and the the lineup, they want to go small or whatever. And you got to, you know, get a good defensive lineup in there. That's when he's valuable. He's yeah. never been the guy that's going to, you know, go out and get you 40 points. It, it's um, tough. That's just in, not his style. Uh, yeah. I mean, in the regular season, you need depth because I mean, you have a, what eighty-two game season? So you need somebody that can uh, that can play defense and give you know get in there whenever your um, starters need a break and um, you know be able to 
to play defense and wear the other guys out. But then when you get to the playoffs, I mean, you're just going to play your best guys as many minutes as possible because at that point you're not trying to trying to to save them because it's it's do or die at that point. So uh, yeah, he right. hasn't really gotten a, a whole lot of a uh, playoff run, but uh, it, that's okay. It's uh it's fun to watch Booker and Chris Paul take over. Yeah, I didn't even mention Chris Paul. I mentioned campaign and Devin Booker. I forgot about Chris Paul. He's potentially could have won the MVP. I don't, I don't know if they do. They announce it after the season or before the playoffs. Uh, that uh oh, they have it. Wait, I think they already announced it, right? Um, they might have. Uh, I look can't it remember. Up. Yeah, because I know a lot of the players were upset about not getting on the like uh, defensive first team, like Bridges. Oh yeah, uh, Jokic won it. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's right. it. Yeah, I remember. Um, uh, I saw the video of like. Uh, I can't remember what series it was, um, but his like brothers were in the crowd. Did you see that? Uh, oh yeah, Jokic's when brothers. Was, they were like screaming at the. They, <laughs> yeah, there was like a fight or whatever, like a you know just an NBA pushing and shoving a little bit after a hard <laughs> foul or something. His brothers looked like they were going to kill somebody. I felt so bad for the security guard. He was this little security guy. He was yeah. just standing there. I mean, they, they didn't rush the court or anything, but like. They were just screaming at uh, Jay Crowder, and oh, it was it was it was hilarious. Yeah, hilarious. I can't believe I forgot he won the MVP. The crazy thing about Jokic, man, it wasn't he like he was selected. I don't remember what number he was selected mm-hmm. in the draft, but but he was selected like in the middle of a commercial or something. <laughs> they, they like they like showed it at the bottom of the screen, and then he's yep. the MV, NBA MVP a couple years later. That's pretty awesome for him. Yeah, it was definitely um, the second round, like forty one or forty two, something like that. Yeah, it was late. It was late, but it's just weird, like how those you know. Certain guys you might not think they they just come out of nowhere, especially like the European players. And I mean mm-hmm. that's probably just because we don't see them. They're playing over, they're playing pro over there, so we don't we don't see them here. So they kind of come out of nowhere. It seems like, um, right. but I'm sure people over there aren't surprised. I guess with your uh, with with the Suns being up three one on the Clippers as you mentioned, and then the Hawks and the uh, uh, Bucks being tied one one right now. Do you think the um, Suns are going to win it all. Like, what's your pick on the the NBA title? I know that you don't have the matchup yet, but what do you yeah, think's think is going to happen? I mean, I'm probably um, just preparing myself to to get hurt, but I think that the Suns are the best team left. Definitely. That's um, your that's the West Virginia in you, man. You're just waiting for the disappointment. <laughs> exactly. Like this is the most I've ever been into an NBA team. Obviously, um, and you know, it kind of makes like I feel like I did back when the Pirates you know had the couple years where they made the playoffs like it's just so exciting and to see them win a a championship would be awesome so I think that the Suns have the best team left um they have I mean they've been playing great they did get um fortunate that they haven't played any healthy teams yet like um the Lakers AD was hurt um LeBron was kind of banged up all year um, so they avoided that. And then whenever they played the Nuggets, um, Jamal Murray's been hurt all year, um, or got hurt during the season. So they didn't have to face him. And then, uh, with the Clippers, obviously Kawhi's been, been hurt this whole series. So, I mean, but he still, I mean, they're playing who they're facing. Like they, they can't do anything yeah, you about can't that. Fault them. Yeah. You yeah. You play can't who's fault out them. there. Yep. And they won nine games in a row. So it's not like, I mean, I still feel like they would have won all these. I mean, the Denver, the the Nuggets series would have been, um, you know, a lot closer than definitely would have been a sweep if they had Murray. But uh, yes, yeah, I think the Suns. I mean, I I don't see how they lose three straight to the Clippers without Kawhi. And then um, against the the Hawks. I mean, the Hawks they have Trey Young, but they're just young. I guess the Suns are too. They have they have Booker and Aiton, but I just think the Suns are going to be would be too much for the Hawks. Um, and then 
with uh with the Bucks. I mean, I just think that uh, DeAndre Ayton could neutralize uh, Giannis. So I don't know. I think that the Suns are going to be the favorite no matter who they play. Yeah, I would agree with that. Especially like I keep forgetting that Chris Paul's a, a son because like he's he hasn't won. I I kind of I'm kind of pulling for him. I don't have mm-hmm. a dog in the fight. Uh, I I enjoy just watching the games that are, like you said. But we don't really have an allegiance to any NBA teams here from where we grew up. But so I'm enjoying watching the games, and I kind of hope Chris Paul wins. He's like kind of one of those guys that you want to see him win. And now he's on a. I mean, he's been on good teams before. He spent a lot mm-hmm. of time with the Clippers when they had DeAndre Jordan and Blake Griffin, and um, he was in New Orleans for a little bit. They weren't very good in New Orleans, but um, you know he was really good. He's always been good since he's been at Wake Forest back in the yeah. day, which seems like forever ago. You know who ended his college career though? Tell me it wasn't like Kevin Pitsnoggle and Oh yeah, it was uh it's one of the greatest <laughs> college basketball games tournament games ever. It went to I think triple overtime and Mike Gansey just went off the whole game. Oh my god, Mike Gansey. That's not a name I thought I would ever hear ever <laughs> the, the, again in my life. <laughs> the uh the most early 2000s attire ever like he would wear shorts like past his knee and then like the long t-shirt where the sleeves were like eight sizes too big that like went past his elbow it was just oh, awesome. the old the guy that wears the old uh, t-shirt under the jersey yeah, yeah i forgot all about that dude that's yep. so funny I, it's funny looking back at those like in the 80s and early 90s like all the basketball shorts were like short shorts kind of and mm-hmm. even going way back when but like above the knees like you look at the Jordan era and stuff, and then in the early two thousands, everything was baggy. But now you look back on that, dude. That era, it just looks so stupid. Like back when we were in that era before, and we looked back at the short shorts, I'm like, that looks ridiculous. Why are they wearing them like that? And then now you look back at like the early two thousands and all the baggy clothes and stuff. They, they people just look so stupid back then. I'm sure like you know our kids and stuff are gonna look back at us and be like, what the hell were you wearing? Yeah, like, exactly. That's just the way it is. But it's pretty funny. Yeah, you uh, should that's, go watch that's classic. I, I knew you'd pull up uh, Mike Gansey, or, or not, not Mike Gansey, but I knew you'd pull up or try to tie in some West Virginia thing to that too. That's you should go watch the highlights of it because it's awesome. It was just a back and forth the whole game. is is a great game. So yeah, what I, year I, I was that? It's like two thousand like that six. Yeah, I was gonna say I think it had to have been two thousand and six or two thousand and seven. Um, let me see. Two thousand five. was yeah, way off. Oh five. Yeah, two thousand five. Yeah. Um, Dude, they were nasty. They were like just two overtimes, one eleven to one oh five, and uh, wow. Mike Gansey had uh twenty nine points. Kevin Pitsnoggle, well, Kevin Pitsnoggle only had eight. Um, wow, what do you shoot from three? Probably like two for twenty or something ridiculous. They used to just shoot threes <laughs> constantly. That's all sh- they did. They were ahead of the they were ahead of their time, man. Wait, Chris Paul wasn't even a starter then. How did he played forty four minutes and had twenty two points, but he didn't start. That makes no sense. That's weird. But it went to double <laughs> overtime, so I guess you could have... I mean, it, it pretty much played the whole game. He yeah. He missed, what, six minutes of the game? I guess maybe he was one of those guys <laughs> that like likes to come off the bench. I don't know. That's weird. Yeah, maybe. That's crazy. Um, but, you know, I, I tend to agree with you. I think the, the Suns will win. I hope they win for Chris Paul. And I know you mentioned it'll make you happy. Like, you uh, you know, whenever the Pirates had a, had a chance to to win a couple years back. I did want to pivot over. I'm glad you mentioned that to the uh, major league baseball and get your take on this, like banned substances stuff that's going on. Like they're, they're stopping frisking guys in the middle of the game. I see people like taking their, like undoing their belt and like dropping their pants. So the umpire can come out and like inspect their belt and like looking at their hat and everything. I saw Max Scherzer and Joe Girardi were getting into a shouting match the other day. Cause he, 
Like they, they just like, what are they doing? I mean, they have bigger problems. I feel like baseball. I mean, they, they, these guys are getting more punishment for having like tar on their hat than the Houston Astros got for cheating to win the World Series. So like, it just seems like they're just Rob Manfred, the commissioner of baseball. He's just everything he does is ass backwards. And they have, in my opinion, I'm not a baseball guy, but they have more problems. Like their their games to me are just so slow. Like they're just not entertaining. Maybe that's because we have to watch the Pirates. But they're, um, you know, they just their, their viewership is not not necessarily going down, but like their their average age of viewers is older. So like they need to do something to like kind of get the young people to watch again that aren't just like people like you that are like real into baseball and really enjoy baseball. Like I'm just talking to casual fan. Yeah. Like, I never just flip past the channel and see baseball game and want to turn it on this. I just never do that. So it's hard for me to like, see why, why would they do this? Like they're just making, they're, they're getting publicity for all the wrong reasons. Well, I think that, I mean, it, it's funny because the one thing they like every off season, they just put so much emphasis on, you need to speed up the game, like trying to find ways to, to make it go faster. So like this year, the, Doubleheader games, you only play seven innings if you have a doubleheader. Um, in right. starting in the tenth inning, um, in extra innings, they put a runner on second base to to speed things up. So they do that, but then they implement these rules where they're going out and checking the pitchers all the time. So how are you putting an emphasis on speeding up the game, but then now you're having all these random checks? And the, I mean, the spin rate for pitchers this year had just been crazy and. You know, there's so many strikeouts, and it's either like a walk, a home run, or a strikeout anymore. So they're wanting, you know, to crack down on that. Um, people using substances for that reason, they don't want as many strikeouts because they think it leads to, you know, a boring game if it's only if there's only strikeouts and home runs. Um, but how do you do it in the middle of the season? Like you're just changing these guys like entire game, and also like it's ridiculous that um, yeah, like with Scherzer, they checked him three times in. How can you so how can you just keep accusing him of using a substance and then um you know they go out and they check him three times and every time he's you know doesn't have yeah, anything. Yeah, you can't so expect how, him to get pissed off about it. He's yeah, like, what the hell? Like, in in front of like everyone and it's just ridiculous and it's gotta be extremely frustrating to know that you're just dominating uh the other team and then you're being accused of cheating. Like obviously you're gonna be be fired up about that. So he was mad and then um I mean that's not a way to you know, people, that's slowing the game down too. So I think it's just frustrating the players. It's frustrating the fans. So Manfred has to figure it out. I don't, I don't really understand what. Yeah. I, I think, man, if like, and I'm not that close to it, but it, you should be able to, not to say you should limit the number of times. Cause like if you, you know, the person cannot have any substance in the first inning and then, you know, put it on in the fourth inning after you've already checked them or something like that. But there should, there should be some sort of punishment. Like if you go out, like you check the guy three times. And he has no no nothing on him or anything like that. Like there right. should be you you shouldn't be able to just be like, hey, go check him. Go you know. It just seems like it's it's odd. And Max Scherzer even said after the game, he's like, the way they've been cracking down and checking everybody the last like two weeks, I'd be a complete moron to do something now. Like I, I right? Why would I do that? And to your point, it's just it's frustrating because he's dealing out there. He's pitching well. They can't hit, and then they're just like, oh, he's got tar on his hat or whatever. It's like I don't know. Yeah. I, I don't buy into all that shit. I and, don't uh, understand why it's such a big deal. It's putting the umpires in a tough spot too because they're just going with the, you know, what Manfred in the front office wants and they don't want to be checking. Like, they literally have to like rub their head. Like, so they have to like rub the head of, you know, the sweaty pitcher in front of all the fans. Yeah, they're like, saying they they're putting like tar that. or whatever. What, what's the substance that they're being accused of using? It's not oh, pine tar, but it's um, like tack. 
It's called tack. Yeah, yeah, and they're like they're saying that people are like rubbing it in their hair, and he's that's what they said to Scherzer. Girardi's like, I've seen Scherzer; he's a Hall of Fame level pitcher. I've he's been pitching a long time. I've played against him, or I've managed against him, and I've never seen him take his hat off and rub his hair like that so many times. <laughs> I'm like, dude, he's like he's got long hair. You ever have long hair and like you have a hat on? There's nothing more annoying than when it's like not sweat like you don't slick it back and then put your hat on like right i can understand why he's doing that he doesn't he didn't put tack in his goddamn hair like that's just the most ridiculous thing yeah that was Uh, a tough look for uh girardi too to accuse someone three times and then every time you know nothing was wrong and it's just because he's uh dominating your team so (laughs) yeah uh, exactly definitely not a good look and then did you see the next day the the nationals were joking around um because like bryce harper like took his hat or helmet off and you know he has like the wavy hair and they're like um, check his hair, check his hair. And they're like pointing at their own teammate. They're pointing at Bryce. It was hilarious. <laughs> That's funny. They're having a little fun with it. Oh, yeah. Joe Girardi, ever since he, when he was with the Yankees, he was just such a jabroni. <laughs> I never, I never liked him, but, um, I just thought that whole, that whole scenario just seems dumb. And you yeah. mentioned, I, I thought you brought up a great point. Like why do it in the middle of the season? And then you mm-hmm. saw guys like Tyler Glass now saying, you know, it, he thinks it, uh, contributed to his injury because he's been used to kind of scuffing the ball up a little bit and throwing that mm-hmm. way. And then now they're not allowed to use any of that stuff. And I can understand from the Major League Baseball side, like you said, they want to, they, they don't want to have strikeouts every time or give the pitchers any unfair advantage. But it's something that you probably should discuss with like the Board of Governors or however Major League Baseball does it with all the owners mm-hmm. and then make a rule change next year. Don't change right. the rules in the middle. That's like the oldest thing in the book at anything. You don't change the rules in the middle of the game. <laughs> exactly. And then it, tell them to adhere to it it just it it seems just a bit odd and like no one's going to be like oh you know what now that they're cracking down on the substances i'm going to tune in this summer like do it in the off season figure it out the game will you know the game will catch up the game will you know progress over time if you make the changes you know in the off season but to do it right now and they even predicted i i um was reading that uh even before glass now got hurt the they had interviewed players and they had mentioned that they um you know, they thought that there would be an increased uh, risk of getting hurt. And then literally like several days later, Glassnow got hurt because, I mean, when you're throwing the ball 100 miles per hour, the slightest little bit of change in how you grip it or, um, you know, what's on the ball is going to, can change your whole mechanic. And you're already putting so much stress in your arm. So to just change it and now you have less of a grip that I think that, I mean, it's hard to say that that's exactly what causes injury, but uh, it's, I don't think it's crazy to think it contributed. Yeah, I was going to say it definitely probably contributed to it. And like you said, they even said before it happened. And, you know, because if they change it in the offseason, then the, you know, the pitcher that's not pitching, you know, throwing 100 pitches or 90 pitches or whatever mm-hmm. every couple of days. In the in the summer when he's like just, you know, kind of training and stuff, he can kind of work on that with the pitching coach or, you know, yep. whatever, his trainer and stuff. And he can kind of work out the kinks of his mechanics and all that and get used to it. Yeah, but to ask sure. him to change it on the fly in the middle of the season – it seems ridiculous. I understand what you're saying, but like to the casual person that doesn't know how like the uh, baseball is so it's so difficult to hit a baseball number 1, but number 2 it's like the slight little adjustment can make a world of difference from a pitch. So like it it seems ridiculous to like the outside people that don't don't know anything about baseball that oh yeah, you can't put, you know, tack or tar on your hat to rub it on your hand that it's going to cause an elbow injury, but it definitely probably could and it has. It looks like with Tyler Glass now, I mean, he obviously knows more than I do. He's been a, he's a professional pitcher. He's one of the best pitchers in, in baseball, or right up there at least. Uh, good job, Bob Nutting and the Pirates letting him go. But um, <laughs> you know, I, one of the worst I, 
Yeah, that was for Archer, right? They traded him yeah. and, and uh, Austin Meadows. Yeah, and Austin and, Meadows is a stud too. And a first round draft pick from I think uh, 2018, Shane Bass. It was 17 or 18. So they got rid of one of their top prospects. And the funny thing is, like at the time, we weren't even in first place. So and like we were just overperforming. Like we didn't, we weren't really ever going to be a playoff team that year. So they traded him because they thought we had a chance. And at the time, everyone's like. Oh wow! Like you know, we gave up two big players, but you know we're getting Chris Archer, and they're like, and there's one player to be named later. And usually, you just think it's going to be you know just someone you include to work for salary reasons or roster reasons. And then like a week later, they announced it was our uh, first round draft pick from like a year or two before, and it was like, what in the world? And then obviously, <laughs> we saw it play out to be an all time uh, bad trade. Yeah, it's like, and I think to your point, where they where they made that trade that year, I don't think it was because I don't think management, or and maybe I'm wrong here, but this is just my kind of feeling for it, and just being around Pittsburgh and the Pirates for the last thirty years of my life, the I think they were feeling a little bit of pressure, and they knew what you said that they weren't going to win in the playoffs, but they were going to like try to make it seem like oh we went for it. We made a big trade. We acquired a you know pitcher. I mean, Chris Archer was all over TV in terms of like one of the top targets at the trade deadline. Yeah, and the Pirates got him, and then they lose, and then Bob Nutting and the management can say, "Well, we went for it; it just didn't work out." When really all they were trying to do was appease the fans, in my opinion. And and the fans they all bought into it because the as a Pirate fan, you're not used to the Pirates making a trade. You're used to them going out and getting like some jabroni like Marlon Bird or. <laughs> Justin Morneau or something. And, and those guys, I mean, uh, Bird played pretty well for that little playoff run he was here before, but like they're not used to going out and getting the big name or the, the big fish, I guess, in the trade deadline market. And that's what the Pirates did, so you give them credit, but they, they knew it wasn't going to work out. But it just seems like after the fact, like you said, you give away uh, Tyler Glass now, who at the time wasn't much yet, but he's really good now as a pitcher. Austin Meadows, he's been lighting it up. Mm-hmm. And the Is he still in Tampa? They're, yeah, they're in first is. place, aren't they? Uh, Yeah. Yep. They're so they're Tampa. they're really good. And then you mentioned you throw in that, and I didn't even know that about the <laughs> first round pick. Yeah, from the he's year one of their prior. top prospects. Like, we'll talk about an absolute heist for the uh, general manager from <laughs> and, Tampa Bay. <laughs> oh, and to make matters even worse, I well, first of all, I agree with you that I think that um, Huntington was feeling pressure and like was you know probably tired of hearing all the time like we don't do anything at the trade deadline, we don't do anything, and it was just an all time like I, I definitely think that's why he did it. It was just. The wrong timing, I think. And um, yeah, he, last I checked, he hasn't been in baseball since he got let go from the Pirates. And I think that that is something that's stuck on his resume. And I, um, someone from the Rays organization, I don't know, um, in the front office that was with the Rays during the trade came out like last year or recently and said that uh, (laughs) with that trade, they would have done Archer for any one of the three that we gave them. He said he couldn't believe that we gave up all three when they would have traded Archer for either just Glass now, just Baz, or just uh, oh um, just Meadows. So like, do we- <laughs> <laughs> I mean, awful. I know they have new management now, right? Like the new the Pirates have a new general manager yeah, now, right? But, yeah, but my whole new front office. Dude, like you literally, that's like just a ridiculous trade that like a video game wouldn't even let you make. <laughs> yeah, and, yeah like, you go to like gave the- away. Two MLB like star players essentially, and then uh, a prospect that potentially could be. And it, oh my god! And it's so funny. My pap, he he refuses to watch the Pirates now. He's watched them for fifty years. He won't watch them a, a single uh, inning at all now because of how bad they are. And I'm like, pap, it took you this long. I mean, they've been this bad for the last thirty <laughs> years, and you watched it. Now you abandon ship. 
But yeah. he would always say, oh, Chris Archer, if that guy's a uh, goddamn pitcher, then I'm a neurosurgeon. It is so funny. He's just like, this guy sucks. <laughs> but he doesn't know like the ins and outs and all the, like, all the stuff they gave up for him. I'm sure if he knew that, he would just be like, oh, Jesus. Yeah. Dude, here, I just looked up. And I, I, I don't even know that I've heard his name said on TV. So if I'm pronouncing his name wrong, um, Shane Baz, uh, if I'm pronouncing it wrong, apologies. But he's in, so he's number five on the Rays uh, prospect list on their top prospects. And he's in AAA. He's with the Durham Bulls. Uh, but this year he has a 2.38 ERA, started uh, nine games, pitched uh, 41 innings, only given up 29 hits, only three home runs, and 59 strikeouts in wow. 41 innings. So I'm sure that he's just going to go to the, the, the pros and, and, and have a long career, and uh, we'll just watch the Rays have a bunch of success. Well, you know. Yeah, it's like they, they look, <laughs> like you mentioned, he's their fifth best prospect. Yeah. So they've obviously got a pretty nice farm system there, and they're in first place. I mean, they were a, they were terrible for a long time too, mm-hmm. um, but, but they've had more recent success than the Pirates. Oh, you know, yeah. they they had a couple of years where they won the division, and they, and they, they the played World the World Series. series. Yeah, yeah. So I was like, they in first place this year, good shot to go to the World Series again. And the Pirates are just hoping to <laughs> finish without less than a hundred losses. That's yeah. <laughs> I saw somebody Troy it was so funny. Someone. Um, posted like because the the pirates posted like their new schedule and they're having like music and firework night and all that stuff for the summer and somebody's like it was awesome that the pirates decided for this game they were going to change their logo i really love the uh alternate jerseys and then like they took the pirate p off and it just had like a big seven springs logo on it <laughs> like everybody always says bob nutting just takes all the money from the pirates and spends it at seven springs which is like a ski resort here for anybody that doesn't know ski yep. resort in, in pennsylvania but um, it is so funny, dude. It's just, you got to laugh at it. I feel bad for people like you and, and, uh, people that actually like baseball and want the pirates to succeed. I know your mom, yeah. she probably still watches the pirates every night. She loves them. Listens to it's it just, on radio. Dude, it's just brutal. It's just so, yeah. uh, it's just like, you know, torture, man. You thought, you know, like you said, we talked about earlier with West Virginia always letting us down. You know, you thought that was bad. At least West Virginia is like in the hunt and they've been, you know, they've been really good in football, basketball, baseball, soccer, stuff like that. They've been good. Not to mention Rifle where they're like world champions every year. But like the Pirates haven't really even sniffed anything. I mean, they they had those runs where they had 98 wins that one year, but they didn't even get out of the first round of the playoffs. And some years they didn't get out of the wild card game. So you could say those were big underachievements. And those teams were loaded. All they had to do was build on it. And they decided to break it down. and, And it sucks. Yeah, and uh, were were we on the podcast talking about um, lighter and and rocker from Vanderbilt? Um, I don't think so. No, okay. I don't think so. Well, those, those are the two top two like pitching prospects, right? Yeah, right yeah. So they're both on Vanderbilt, which uh, College World Series tonight. It's uh, Vanderbilt and Mississippi State. Uh, it's going to be um, lighter and rocker. They're they're aces, but so for a while, I just it, it looked like. One of them were going to go to the Pirates because we had the first overall pick, but um, they uh, things have changed, and it looks like the Pirates are going to take a high school shortstop from California. So um, I saw that. All- I think, yeah, I think we may have talked about this, but like maybe not on the podcast or offline because um, I thought that was going to happen from when I talked to somebody that you know similar to you watches a lot of baseball, and mm-hmm. I guess it's because, and you probably were about to get to it, so sorry to cut you off. But oh, no, you- they were they were gonna they're probably gonna try to spend more money and like the I don't know how the baseball draft works, like but they're gonna sign some they're gonna draft somebody they know they can sign for cheap mm-hmm. essentially, right? Is that the kind yeah, of they're gonna do it? I think so, and um, I, I, yeah, I'm not I'm not uh up to date with with how all of that works exactly, but um. The other thing too is, I mean, I think a lot of front offices just 
prefer to get a guy that's going to play every single day over a pitcher um, that is going to pitch once every five games. So I think that, um, I mean, the shortstop, there, there's like, there's two sh- high school shortstops and then there's a, um, a catcher from Louisville and then a uh, rocker and lighter that are all, um, you know, uh, up at the top, like everyone's like in their like top five, top six picks. Um, so I think that the pirates are just uh, also preferring to go with a guy that, um, you know, can can be an everyday shortstop and and be like, um, you know, a, a face of the franchise rather than a, a pitcher that's going to pitch once every five days. Which I mean, I can understand, especially if they. I mean, this guy. It seems like like it. No one's criticizing the Pirates for doing it. I've I've been reading about it, and like everyone's saying, like the general consensus is that like this guy is worthy of a, the the number one pick. So um, it's just I've been watching. The, I've been watching Vanderbilt games all year because I'm like, oh, these guys are going to be pirates. <laughs> you you then, bought in, man. <laughs> yeah, I fully bought in. And then now it's it's obvious that like because a lot of like mock drafts and stuff are like coming from guys that are getting words. You know, word goes around from front offices. So right, you can pretty much tell at this point it's a given that the Pirates aren't going to draft one of the uh, one of the Vanderbilt pitchers. But uh, yeah, for uh, anyone interested in in baseball, should watch the College World Series because college baseball is awesome. So that's, I actually have been watching it a little bit. Um, you know, my dad's been telling me. So my uh, cousin Claire, she went to Vanderbilt. So like my mm. dad's like, um, you know, family. They're in cool. the dad side of the family. They love like we. They've been watching Vanderbilt and they do like Zoom calls all the time. Um, and then my dad's been watching a lot of it too. So I started oh, watching awesome. a little bit and and uh, it is. It, I think it's more entertaining personally than Major League Baseball. I know they're not yeah, as awesome. as talented, obviously, everybody, but. Um, it's just the atmosphere is awesome. It's mm-hmm. just a college atmosphere. It's always better than the pro atmosphere, in my opinion. Maybe not like yeah. Like you look at the Stanley Cup playoffs and stuff like that. The 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 uh, venues and like the crowd is awesome, but typically college sports like there's more passion in it. Not to say pros aren't passionate and pr- professional fans aren't passionate, but they know those guys are making millions of dollars. These guys are like on the cusp of potentially you know getting drafted. It's very difficult to make it in baseball. A lot of them probably already are drafted. Or I, I think that's probably how it works with baseball. I know in, in hockey you can get drafted but still go back to college and play. It's real weird, right? Um, but you know it's 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 interesting. I I haven't really watched it in the last you know probably since they had that uh, what was it that EA Sports college baseball game they used to have back oh, in like yeah. two thousand three. Yeah, that game awesome. was sweet. They bring that um, when they bring back football. Yeah, it'd be sweet. I I I've been enjoying it, man. I don't actually. I'm I'm not sure. Is it the final tonight? Like the yeah, it's it's or, best of three. So. Um, I think game one's tonight, but I do want to give a heads up if anyone tunes in. Oh, I guess this will probably air after. Um, this this podcast will air after, but <laughs> the Vanderbilt games. There's these guys. There's these two guys that go to the games, and they're like the, they're called like the Vanderbilt Whistlers, and they whistle <laughs> the entire game nonstop, like, <laughs> and it is so loud, and you can hear it on the broadcast, and it. Um, I. Last time I watched, uh, I was watching the other night. I had to put it on mute because I couldn't take it. It's just you can if you go to YouTube. Dude, that or Twitter, has to be so annoying it. if you're oh, in yeah. the if you're in the stands too. Like if it's that bad on TV, mm-hmm. like I'm surprised somebody hasn't just gone down there and told them to shut they, up. You they've, know, but. they've had people like argue and try to fight them and stuff, and they say that they do it because it gets into the like opposing fans' heads. But like, I mean, even Vanderbilt fans can't enjoy listening to that all game. Like. And so, like, I think it's like there's articles <laughs> on them incredible. and everything too. You can you can read them. Um, but uh, 
Yeah, they say they get into the away fans' heads, but I mean, I, I feel bad for like the Vanderbilt fans too that have to listen to that all game. <laughs> What's worse, that or like when you watch soccer in like World Cup and they have those Vuvuzelas or whatever they're <laughs> called constantly? I actually don't mind the Vuvuzelas. I think that like it's just it's cool because when you hear it, it just like um, it just like you know that there's like an important soccer game going on. I don't know. I like dude, the, me at the this crowds at those like, soccer games are insane, dude. They're just like. Yeah. That, that would be awesome to be there, especially like in the World Cup. I mean, there's people like in the stands of those games that are like lighting off flares and stuff and like yeah. fireworks in the stands. And that, it's crazy. And, you know, a lot of bad things happen in, in soccer uh, crowds and stuff too around the world. But, right. yeah, I don't mind the Vuvuzelas either. I yeah, just I don't either. Funny, to like, me, the, that's just like soccer. Sound. Like, I just associate that with soccer. Like, that's just, to me, like the same thing. Like, but the whistling, like, all game is just. That's one thing, like, with, um, you know, and I'm probably more into soccer a little bit than you are and i'm not i wouldn't even say i'm really into it i watch it probably more than you do but the fans dude like they're so passionate like it and it's a pro level and mm -hmm. half the guys on the team aren't even from that area you know mm -hmm. what i mean like liverpool yeah. for instance you know liverpool england but like Mohamed salah is from egypt and he's like the best player on the team the star player but they just love their club dude they're they, they don't care at all about anything on like saturdays and sundays other than that and it's just uh -huh. so passionate like how the like Liverpool hates Manchester United and like they're just it's just it's pretty entertaining it's cool how the that works but Here, from your point man I would probably just shoot myself if I was in the uh stands and somebody was whistling the entire game <laughs> yeah go go look it up after this you'll you'll get a good kick out of it um but on that point I was just thinking this just came to my head as we're talking well I've always thought it'd be awesome like to go to a European soccer game and just get the whole experience of it because yeah me I mean too. soccer fans are probably just made pro possibly the most passionate fans of like any sport in the world and yeah we should like that's a bucket list item we should go and then we'll do like a live european rambling brews podcast stream <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> first annual It'd be sweet what from the uh from the stands from <laughs> yeah from the stands at halftime we should do it. That'd be sweet. I would love to get over there, man. I, that would be fun to get, to go watch a, you know, I, I always wanted to go see, I think the World Cup's coming to the U.S. and like, it's pretty soon in the next two or three World Cups. Oh, really? So hopefully, yeah, I believe so. Um, so Where? it's going to be, okay. I'm assuming it's going to be like all over the place. I think they're probably going to have like D.C., um, I would imagine like Florida and because when they do it in like Brazil in and stuff they do it all over the place in yeah like the, the world cup if they have it and like i forget where the last one was i want to say it was in brazil mm -hmm. um because the next one i think is in qatar in 2022 mm -hmm. um but yeah i believe it's going to be in the, i know it's going to be in the u.s i know they got selected i can't remember which one it is um i'm sure somebody will tell us when they hear this but um it'll be awesome hopefully like they get something close like dc or you know, I know even, they did that like spread it out like that that's cool uh, yeah, I think they do that in every country. It's just like different because the United States is big. So it's mm -hmm. like you can't, you know, teams, it's going to be weird. Like if you play your first game, you know, and, and they're in groups and stuff too. So they'll probably stay in a small area, but right, or right. like a, you know, a, a little area that they, maybe a couple states that they have to travel to. But I'm pretty sure that's how they do it. Cause then oh, like in Brazil, they'll have one in like Rio and then they'll have one in another city that I can't name in Brazil. But, um, well, hopefully we're in it by then. Yeah, I know. Well, I think if you're, I think if you're the host, you automatically qualify. I'm oh, really? Sure. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. Don't quote me on that. If I'm wrong, any soccer, soccer fans out there? But <laughs> I mean, it would be a disaster if it was in the United States and the U.S. wasn't even in it. It would Which, be like an absolute joke. Luke so I'm sure that's probably how they. <clears throat> I know, I know. 
Uh, yeah, oh, that- man, dude, this, this, it, I, I hope, I hope uh, we can get to a game. That would be awesome. I'm sure it's going to be really hard to get tickets. Uh, right. But I mean, you wouldn't even like, I would just go to any game. Like, even if it wasn't, obviously the hardest tickets would be, um, the U S games, but it would be an awesome experience just to go to any, any game and be around, um, fans that are from all over the world and, um, you know, see how they, they prepare for games and, and celebrate at games. That'd be awesome. Yeah, so I just uh, just looked it up, Troy. It says that it's the 2026 World Cup. It oh, looks that's like. not far at all. And it's gonna be it's it's like basically uh, North America. So they picked North America to host. So it's gonna be some games in Mexico, some games in Canada, and some games in the United States. So I I don't know what state uh, what cities in the U.S. But it's gonna be crazy how they would do that. Like you know these teams might have to travel like a, a significant distance to get to their so- like elimination stage games. So I would guess then that that doesn't make you an automatic qualifier then, right? Because you're not going to automatically qualify Canada, the U.S., and Mexico, or I'm not sure on that. I thought the rule was that you automatically qualify, but maybe not because of their, mm-hmm. you know, um, I'm trying to see here. But the U.S. no, is it's getting... like a joint bid, but they'll probably, hopefully, they'll qualify. Yeah, then isn't the U.S. like getting good again at soccer? Um, yeah, they have I watched that Mexico Pulisic game. Or... That was pretty exciting. But I heard that, um, you know, what they were saying is that. Uh, we're, we're going to be a pretty good team coming up. Yeah, they've got Christian uh, Pulisic, I think is how you say his name, mm-hmm. but he plays for Chelsea in the Premier League, and they just won the um, Champions League, so they're the champions right. of Europe, which is pretty cool. Um, I think he's the first American player to do that, uh, at least that played. I think there were some other American players that played in like for those teams but never actually got in the game. Um, so it's pretty awesome. Yeah, hopefully they'll be able to um, – you know, keep it going and, and keep producing young talent and stuff and grow it. But it's still, it's going to be difficult. And our best, our best athletes don't play soccer. That's just the reality of, mm-hmm. of the United States. And if you had the LeBron James and, you know, those guys playing soccer, like these other, these other countries, their main sport is soccer. So their best athletes are playing that. Right. Um, you look at Canada. I mean, their best athletes play hockey, stuff like that. So it's just kind of, you know, and it's not, it's not every great athlete plays that sport, but you know what I mean? It's most of right. them play the, the national sport. So I think the U S will struggle a little bit, but hopefully, you know, with the success of the team and the world cup coming here, maybe it'll grow. Who knows? But I did not expect to, to pivot over and talk about soccer uh, during this conversation, <laughs> but I'm enjoying it. <laughs> but, uh, but man, dude, I appreciate it. I can't thank you enough for coming on. I know the listeners enjoy when you're on and, uh, we didn't get to the, the grill talk this time, but we'll have to have you back yeah. on and talk about Mr. Blackstone himself over there. Uh, we'll have to, we'll have to dive into that, but yeah, I appreciate thank, you coming on. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Well, I'm still, uh, on the on the search for a uh an offset smoker so uh it it's probably good that we didn't get to it because next time i will have uh things to talk about with that so thank you for having me on and uh always a good time i only got through a few sips of the uh the haterade i think that the year the year and one day or two day candidate <laughs> might have been a little bit past the date that i should have drank it by so i only had a few sips but uh uh, it's all good, man. You'll be fine. You'll be fine. <laughs> <laughs> I was gonna. I'm glad you brought that up. I was gonna ask you how it was, if it still tasted good, or you know, the first sip was a little bit better than the other ones. Yeah, I pivoted over to a uh, diet coke midway through. So <laughs> I respect it. I respect it. That's for, you know, it's bad when you got it. You don't even go for another beer. You just went to a diet coke. It just completely ruined the beer taste for you for the day. But yeah, exactly. Oh man, appreciate it, and uh, we'll have you back on soon. I hope you guys really enjoyed that conversation. What a blast I had. Troy's a great dude. I always love having him on. Been best friends with him for a very long time. So swig a beer for Troy.
Just a couple notes uh, to close out this week's episode. Bobby Bonilla Day is coming up uh, this week, July 1st, which I think is Thursday. So every July 1st from the year 2000 to 2035, due to a um, buyout from the New York Mets, Bobby Bonilla, he played for the Pirates for a little while, but uh, he got bought out in the year 2000, his $5.9 million salary, and he ended up getting it deferred. Um, And I think he had a previous buyout as well that got rolled into this, if I'm not mistaken. But basically, the moral of the story is this guy's got the life. In the year from the year 2000 to the year 2035, he gets $1.19 million check from the New York Mets every July 1st. Now, the funny part about this story is you might not know the New York Mets ownership actually bought him out because they were trying to make uh, some, you know, try to save some money a little bit, cut some costs in order to invest a lot of money with guess who? Bernie Madoff. <laughs> Who Bernie Madoff, the scam artist, the guy, he might actually have died. He might have died in prison. I can't remember. But he went to prison for a long time for having a massive Ponzi scheme costing investors and a lot of people and a lot of companies and a lot of big wigs um, in the world millions and millions of dollars. And uh, But it's pretty cool to see you know, Bobby Bonilla. He's going to be 72 years old in uh, 2035, I believe, and he's still going to be making $1.19 million every July 1st. Just unbelievable. So you got to give a swig of beer for uh, Bobby Bonilla. I got to dig into some more of these uh, incredible buyouts. Like from the NHL perspective, I can remember Rick DiPietro, um, who's actually, I think, going to be joining ESPN as an analyst. So it'd be pretty cool to see him. The last time we saw him, he was getting his shit rocked by Brent Johnson with a left hook um, against the Pittsburgh Penguins in a goaltender fight back in, I think, like 2011, somewhere in there. Um, But you know, it'll be pretty cool to see that, but I know he has a pretty incredible buyout. He got a massive contract from the Islanders and he really just shit the bed and was terrible after that. So uh swig a beer for these guys that somehow found a way to make millions of dollars and not having to do anything. And, and they're not, they're not, uh, you know, prevented from going out and getting other work or whatever. Even if like you get bought out in the NHL or any sport, I believe you can go sign with another team and those teams are still liable to pay you the other part of your original contract. So uh swig a beer for those guys. Just pretty crazy. The Edmonton Oilers are up to their old tricks again. They've got needs at the blue line. They've got needs in uh, in goal. They got to get Connor McDavid and Leon Draisaitl some help. So what do they do? They sign Ryan Nugent Hopkins, who's been there for a long time and really has never beaten anybody. He hasn't accomplished a whole hell of a lot. He's more of a uh, he's more of like a he's not even a Robin to a Batman. He's kind of like the fourth or fifth best option on on a team, and. I think his best year, he had like 69 points, and he played on a wing with McDavid and Dreisaitl that year, so obviously his stats are a little inflated. But he got an eight-year deal for $41 million from the Oilers. Eight years. I think he's already like 28, 29 years old, somewhere in there. Eight years they signed this guy. Just a true Ken Holland contract. Just absolutely long-term contract, trying to keep the cost down. And I understand it. They got a tight salary cap, but eight years for that guy? I would have just like moved on from him. I mean, he's not worth eight years. I know he actually, just to show you how he's not very good. I mean, he's a decent player, but he took less money annually this time on a contract than he did on his last contract. When's the last time you've seen that from a guy, his first big contract, and then he has, he could potentially get to free agency and he takes less money. I understand it's like the COVID cap and everything, but he took eight years. He could have taken like two years for that money, a bridge deal. And then gone out and signed a massive you know deal if he has a couple good years, but he knows that he you know he he knows what he is 
and all he's content with is getting his money, and he got eight years guaranteed, $41 million. So good for Ryan Nugent Hopkins. Bad if you're an Edmonton Oilers fan. Anybody trying to defend this, I think you're just a complete moron. I'm sorry. Um, speaking of complete morons, the Seattle Kraken, out of nowhere, they're coming into the league this year. Expansion draft coming up in July. I can't wait for that. But they signed Dave Hackstall, who used to be the Philadelphia Flyers head coach, not to be confused with Penguins general manager, who was also the general manager of Philadelphia when they hired this guy, Ron Hextall. This is Dave Hackstall, H-A-K-S-T-O-L. He'll be the first coach of the Seattle Kraken in NHL history. Um, he had uh, 134 wins, 101 losses, and 42 overtime losses with the uh, Philadelphia Flyers. And maybe, you know, I thought it was going to be um, Rick Tockett, the old Penguins assistant coach and the coach that just got fired from the Arizona Coyotes. I thought he was the front runner up there with Ron Francis being the general manager. And I think a lot of people did, but Dave Haxtell kind of came out of nowhere and maybe he'll flourish. Who knows? Because I would have said the same thing about Craig Berube after he left um, Philadelphia. He went to St. Louis and he's been a great coach there and he won a Stanley Cup. You know, the, the Blues first time they ever won a Stanley Cup was with Craig Berube, uh, Chief, what a nickname. And um, so we'll see. I mean, Rick Tockett was a finalist, but they got Dave Haxtall. So I don't know what to think if you're a Seattle Kraken fan or how many Seattle Kraken fans there really are. But I guess you got to wait and see what their team looks like. Because um, Dave Haxtall, I mean, he's just kind of like a vanilla guy. He doesn't seem like he's – he looks confused. He kind of reminds me of the Penguins old coach, Mike Johnston. He looked like he was way in over his head constantly. Uh, just looked like he had no idea what was going on. And maybe he didn't. Maybe it was you know his first coaching gig as a head coach at the National Hockey League level. Maybe he's learned a little bit. He'll surround himself with better staff. We'll see what kind of leeway he has with that uh, with that organization or if they're going to pick the uh, assistants. But they've got big shoes to fill. If you look at the way Vegas has been successful their first four years and the way the rules are in the expansion draft, I cannot wait for this expansion draft, by the way. But um They've got big shoes to fill if they want to have the level of success, and I think they're going to be held to that standard. They're going to be expected to be as good as Vegas in the fans' eyes, and I, th- I think that might be a little bit unfair because Vegas bamboozled a lot of people. Um, but, man, I'm not sure Dave Haxtell is the guy. We'll see. But uh, also uh, around the NHL, the awards were announced. Connor McDavid wins the Hart Trophy with a unanimous vote. I think he's the second player ever to win two unanimous MVPs, the other one being Wayne Gretzky. So the Edmonton Oilers rich in history there with the uh, MVP award, even though most of them were uh, kind of gifted to Wayne Gretzky, even though he maybe didn't deserve it every year. But uh, that's uh, neither here nor there. Uh, Marc-Andre Fleury wins the Vezina Trophy. First time ever. Um, I think he overachieved a little bit this year, but you could probably tell him a little bit uh, biased just based on, you know, I've talked about it. Some of the years that Fleury had in Pittsburgh where he kind of let down the team, in my opinion. I don't want to get into all that, but congratulations to Fleury. He deserves it. Great guy, great season, uh, unfortunate playoff, but pretty crazy a guy wins the Vezina Trophy and he gets benched in the playoffs. So if you're Pete DeBoer, you got to be like, you know, that's a crazy decision. That organization's got some decisions to make. Um, Adam Fox, who I figured would be a finalist for the Norris Trophy, the New York Rangers young stud defenseman. He won the Norris Trophy, so congratulations to him. Bright future for him and uh, on Broadway up there as a blue shirt. And then you've got uh, Kapril, Kirill Kaprizov. Excuse me. He's he's won the Calder Trophy. Um, I knew he, he would. I think everybody did. Unbelievable. We'll see if he actually signs an extension in Minnesota. It would suck to lose the Calder winner. Um, and then I mentioned McDavid. He won the Hart Trophy. He also won the Ted Lindsay Award. So that's the uh, award that's MVP voted on by the players. So you got to figure, obviously, he deserved it. A 100-point season in a 56-game 
um, season. So just unbelievable what he was able to do this year. He's just got to translate it over to the playoffs. So we'll see if he can do that. Um, and then two two notes here to, to end the, the podcast today. Um, the Tour de France. Did anybody see the Tour de France? So I don't watch the Tour de France. Um, I know my, my sister was actually in Paris, I think, back in like 2000. I want to say it was 2002, whenever they got married on their honeymoon. And um, they were there like during the Tour de France and like said how awesome it was, like how just big of an event it was. And I'm sure it'd be pretty cool to see. And they ride through the hills of France and all that stuff. It's pretty awesome. Um, pretty boring to watch. But that's just me as an American fan. I'm sure, you know, it's kind of like we're just not into it. You know, we, I don't really understand all of it. Um, I know it's just bike riding. What is there not to understand? But I don't know, like, all the different stages and all that stuff. And But anyway, the most exciting thing happened. This lady, she was on the – so they have fans, like, lining the streets. Like I mentioned, they're, like, in a neighborhood basically riding through the city and stuff. And this fucking lady, she's, like, trying to get on TV with this sign in French. Now, I don't speak French, so I had no idea what it said, but it couldn't be this important. There's a whole pack of bicyclists coming up and they're racing and they're probably going a lot faster than they look like they're going on TV. But basically she's like trying to get in the camera shot and she's got her sign out there and she like clips one of the uh, bikers. And next thing you know, or cyclists, sorry, I think that's what it is, what it's called. But next thing you know, like a massive, uh, like crash happens and this lady causes a massive wreck. I mean, this thing looked like one of those, uh, highway accidents you see in like Texas whenever there's snow on the ground because they have no salt trucks. There's just thousands of cars piled up. It looked just like that. It was one of the most surreal scenes I've ever seen. And this lady caused all that. I have no idea what the backlash was. I have no idea what the fallout was, if they were able to restart the race or whatever the hell it was. I have no idea how it played out. But this lady was an absolute gong show to the Tour de France. And she was all over the internet. You got to love that. So swig a beer for this lady getting her viral moment. But what an absolute bonehead jabroni move. My God. On that note, I hope you guys have a hell of a week. I appreciate your patience with the delay of the podcast. Wish my wife and I luck as we deal with our two-year-old daughter who's treating her crib like a steel cage and she's trying to win the WWF title by escaping. And remember, if I don't see you around here, I'll see you around. Here. Who now lives in temples Got the law looking for me